everybody. Welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And today we're going to be not uh, going over one Tintin book, but two. We're going to be going over Flight 714 and yes. Flight 714 to Sydney. Yes. Two very different books. You forgot the third book. Which is? Vol. Oh, forget it. I have to do the uh, numbers in, in French and I'm, I'm going to give up right away. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm going to collapse. So you uh-huh. read the books in French, but Vol. you can't speak French. It's, you know, you, you know how you lied over certain things? You know, if you ever read a Russian novel, you just never actually ever read the names of the people. Yeah. You just kind of hit the name and you just kind of go, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And, just her- her- and when people ask how was the novel, you go, very sad. It's very, very sad. Very, very sad. The, very long. Yeah, that one family death really got to oh, me. So, which one's, which family was that? Oh. The blah, blah, blah. Oh. Oh, the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I remember them. You know what? I can't even get into it. It's just so upsetting. Let's just drop <laughs> the subject and move on. Two, so- totally Tintin. Uh, because we're not here to talk Russian novels, are we? What's our next podcast? To- uh, totally Tolstoy. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Should end the episode now. Uh, if you haven't listened to our show before, let me give you the rundown on how this works. Uh, I'm a professional comic book writer. I write for The Simpsons and Futurama Comics. Also a big comic fan, but I've never read the Tintin series. So I'm doing that for the very first time on this uh, podcast. And my friend David Dedrick. I'm a big Hergé fan. I love his artwork and I love Tintin. Love the stories. And he's been trying to get me to read these for years. I'm now reading them. And so there you are. Now you're up to speed. We're cashing in on your ignorance. <laughs> Sure, yeah, we are really breaking re- in the dough with this free podcast. We're not uh, good financial uh, managers. No, no, There's a lot of rich people in this uh, book we're uh, reading, and we are not of that sort. No. Uh, but it seems like rich guys, for the most part, are jerks, so maybe that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So how this is going to go down is uh, we always start off with a little bit of context as mm-hmm. to where Hergé is, where sure. Tintin is, uh, some historical relevance, and uh, David uh, lays that out for you. And then we go page by page through the book, and... And uh, just describe what we're seeing. We almost like read you a story. So if you have not read Flight 714 or Flight 714 to Sydney, then you might want to read that before uh, we spoil it for you. But if you don't care about that sort of thing, eh, it's fine. It's your life. It's your podcast. Mm -hmm. Do with it as you will. Exactly. So, uh, Dave, what year are we at right now? Well, uh, take us back. Take us all the way back. This was uh, first published in Tintin Magazine uh, from September 27th. 1966, the greatest year of all time, to November 28th, 1967. Would that be when you were born? The year I was born, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so it's a little over four years since Castrofiore Emerald was published. So uh, and this, kind of like Castrofiore Emerald, well, actually exactly like Castrofiore Emerald, this was also simultaneously published in English and French when the book publication came out. So okay. they did the translation at the same time. I happen to think that it's not a great translation of, uh, of, these, of this book, I think they made some choices. I don't kind of understand some of the choices they made. Uh, and I don't know why. Like, uh, some of them I understand. Actually, some of them I understand just because they didn't know. But other ones seem strange to me. We were talking actually about the fact that my, the original uh, Adventures of Tintin, when this was first published, it was published as Flight 714. And the two Sydney was left off it. And we were kind of wondering why. And then we figured it out that, you know, they wanted to keep Hergé's art uh, unchanged. And so in the original version, in the... F- Vol blah, blah, to poor Sydney, you could have the airplane flying along the top of the box. Right. And then have the poor Sydney underneath that. And it was, you know, that kind of stretched out the bottom, along the bottom of the box. Flight is much longer than the three letter VOL for Vol. So if they want to have Flight 714, they had to move the jet down for the two Sydney and they made two Sydney smaller. And that's what they did for the, the Egmont version. So oh, okay. they did accurately keep the title. 
but they had to change around the the graphics a little bit to make it work. Understood. And I think that's why they didn't change that. But there's some other changes in the book too that I I I just they kind of mystify me. Um, now. What, you know, so this was four years. So, uh, between books. Now, it wasn't exactly four years. What happened was, is this was the first time that Hergé entirely finished the book before he would allow Tintin magazine to publish it. Oh, okay. So the book was, you know, from the first to last page was completely completed before it was ever started, started publishing. And, uh, part of that, and part of why that was a good idea was, as usual, the work had to be halted several times because Hergé was completely unable to draw because the eczema on his hands was so bad that his hands were cracking and bleeding, right. and he couldn't hold a pencil. So he was unable to actually do any work on it. And there was no treatment for eczema back then? I, I think for psychosomatic illness, there probably wasn't a big... Okay. You know, besides him not doing it anymore, there wasn't really a lot of treatment. I don't think it was an actual, you know, that he regularly suffered from. I think he only suffered from it when he was drawing. Okay. Uh, Tintin. And like, at the time, he, Michael Turner, the English translator... He, he was talking to Hergé, and Hergé said to him, he said, um, I've fallen out of love with Tintin. I just can't bear to see him. You know, so his feelings, and, and also to Jacques Martin, he said, you can't imagine to what extent I hate Tintin. <laughs> so at this point, it was just pure drudgery to him. There was no joy in it. You know, say, unlike in the 30s and 40s, when there, there was this great sense of exploration, or even in the 50s when he was developing, like, the moon stories. Right. And it had that, that aspect of interest for him. Uh, by this point, it's his drudgery. Now, I don't want to throw you off the rails here, but... Um, throw me off the rails. All right, all right I'll, I'll throw you a little bit off the rails. How was the last book received? We haven't really been talking about how uh, these books actually, uh, yeah. you know, were were received by the public, by critics, yeah. if, there was cri- if there were critics of, of this sort of material. Well, we did talk a little bit about Tintin and Tibet, which wasn't a big seller mm-hmm. at the time. It kind of, you know, it wasn't like a terrible seller, but it was a bit less than other books. Right. And, you know, the most popular books... Uh, it's interesting. Those popular books for Tintin, one is Tintin in America, mm-hmm. and the other one, man, I wish I could remember now. I used to have that at the tip of my tongue, but I don't. It was, I think, it's one of the uh, Unicorn or, or Red Rackham's Treasure. I think it's actually Red Rackham's Treasure. Okay. Those are the two biggest sellers. I was just thinking Tintin at the tip of my tongue would be a great name for a book. Sure would. <laughs> and uh, so those are, you know, so those are a long time ago too. And right. one's very strange to me that Tintin in America, which is kind of falls outside of the later style, the later adventure, you know, kind of as developed through the, into the forties, you know, kind of falls into the early travelogue kind of episodic, not right. really a, not really a complete story, more kind of a, a, you know, a kind of a clothesline with a lot of ep- incidents kind of strung along it. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Okay. You know, whereas these books are like, they're sort of integrated stories from beginning to end. Uh, and I'm not too sure. And so I'm not, Maybe it's just the America part that people like. I don't. I don't know. Right, but they've been all. They were all even the ones that weren't great sellers. Yeah, they were all. Oh yeah, good. You yeah, know, they all. They all sold well. I but assume. this time, every book sold a million copies a year. Right. You know, so he was upwards of twenty million copies of of Tintin books were were in existence by this point in his career. And he's making royalties on the ones mm-hmm. from before. That's right. Too. So that's right. He probably doesn't have. I don't know if he had. He any, was doing very well. Yeah. That's right. Really, like he. I don't know yeah. if he had any habits or anything that mm-hmm. you know would be taking the money away. But your motivation then probably at that point wouldn't be money. Yeah. And you know if you've had you know your glory days of sales already, mm-hmm. then yeah, what is your motivation yeah. to keep going? Unless no you've got incentive. more stories to tell that you're exactly. like, I need to see Tintin do this. Yeah. I mean, even by Tintin in Tibet, I mean he was saying the only thing, only reason I'm doing this is because children like Tintin. 
You know, I'm just doing this for the people who like Tintin. No, it sounded like he had a personal story he wanted to tell us. Like, like he was more connected to, degree, to the But Tintin in Tibet, yes. I mean, he did sort of piggyback himself on into that story to make it interesting for himself. Right. Based and, on nightmares he had. Like, it was very personal, that story. Yeah. And Castafiore Emerald, once again, wasn't a big seller because it was very confusing to, to kids. You know, this story of these people running around in a house. You know, just didn't resonate with what children wanted right. from Tintin. Is he which fighting was... pirates? No, no. Uh, there's an opera singer who dropped in, mm-hmm. and she's a little bit annoying. That's right, yeah. Oh, and she loses her jewels, mm-hmm. but doesn't really. Yeah. Anyway, kids, here's a book for you. Yeah. Merry it's Christmas, everybody. A, it's a frustrating, yeah. and you know, like, what don't people want from authors? Well, they don't want the author to start to deconstruct the character. And that's what we're going to read for the rest of... Mm. Our Tintin stories are all going to be deconstructions of the Tintin universe. Oh, okay, I'd like to see how you uh, how, how that connects with what we because I, I didn't really see that in this, but okay, I'm very well we'll curious. talk about it in a second. Right. So, uh, and this is also the first time that Hergé turned over the dra- the drawing of characters to Bob Demore. So it wasn't oh, just wow, okay. And I think you know when we were talking, if you can throw your mind, cast your mind back to our the Black Island episode. Sure. And even in that oh, book, we were so young. We were so young then. And so naive. We didn't know what was happening. No, we were charging nothing for our podcast back then. What a couple of dopes. All this podcast-related eczema <laughs> we're suffering from now. Uh, and uh, But w- when we were reading that one, we were commenting at that time on how some of the characters were kind of clumsily drawn in the story. Mm-hmm. And we commented on it at the time. And I think what we didn't realize, or what we should have kind of thought about, was the fact that it was Bob Demore who drew the majority of that book. And so he did a lot of the characters as well. Right. Uh, I think basically Hergé just drew Tintin and Snowy. That's about as far as he was interested now in drawing. I'm ask you, now I don't know what Bob Demore looked like, uh, but I'm going to take tall. A, I'm going to take a guess. Okay. Bald? Nope. Because there's a lot of bald guys in this. But not bald. What's that? Oh, not he bald. Was, he no. wasn't bald. He was a very, uh, very uh, suave-looking gentleman. Very nice. Okay. Uh, you know, had kind of the hair brushed back. All right. Had a mustache, but very, very European. There is very... a there is a suave uh, mm-hmm. fella in here as well. I just noticed that going through it, that you know, what's a, what's a theme through this book? A lot of bald guys, and they never play up that like yeah. something might happen that is a re- you know only bald guys can hear the thoughts of the this. It's <laughs> like nope, but just remarkable amount of guys with the exact same hairline uh, going around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wearing too many hats, I think that's what those folks were. So we, I think we'll comment on it as we go. If you yeah. if you look, if when we go through the story, you'll, there'll be kind of things that will stick out to you okay. that you may not have noticed as you're reading the first time. Things where I think that it was Bob Demore who did not have, I mean, he was a good, great cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Like I love his drawings for Brelli and the stuff that he did and his ability to imitate other artists and his ability to kind of blend in and his, you know, his backgrounds are so fantastic. But he was a different artist than Hergé. Hergé had a, you know, this real touch, and he'd been drawing his characters for almost 40 years by this point. And, you know, he, you know, he could just draw Tintin without even thinking about it, you know, but draw him and his characters in this, you know, Hergé way that no one could imitate, no matter how hard they tried. And you, you'll see in here, there's some really clumsy drawings that uh, just kind of fall outside of Hergé, I think. Okay. Um and so during production, despite his careful calculations, as usual, he ran over a few pages. He actually, it came out as 64 pages as they were working on it. Uh, but what happened was, because he was working ahead of schedule, because it wasn't being published at the same time, they were able to correct that during the, during the, like, the early stages. They didn't okay. actually get to, it didn't get drawn onto, onto the paper and, you know, fully planned out that way. And so what these pages would have featured, they would have come after, Tintin and company are put on the, the dinghy, and in the story, uh, 
what I assume would be happening is that they're all kind of still stunned from, from what's happened to them. Only Snowy is aware that the dinghy is being drawn back towards the island, back towards the volcano okay. and, their, and their possible destruction. And so he's trying to warn them what's coming. Fortunately, before that happens, that flying boat comes, you know, the plane comes flying in and picks them up and you know, rescues them. So that would have been those pages. Okay. So instead you get, it kind of cuts it very quickly. You have the view of them, you know, kind of a distant view of them in their dinghy. You can see the island in, in the dis, you know, off, off, you know, kind of corner of the panel. And then the, then the flying, the, well, it's an albatross comes flying in and, uh, you know, and then that, it kind of, then it cuts to the, to the end of it, which works too. I don't think it's a bad ending in that way. It didn't seem jarring. No, it doesn't feel jarring at all. And in fact, the jarringness of it is, is appropriate because you, you, then you get a real sense of the fact that, that they were out of it. And now here's the, what's happening after that, you know, Mm -hmm. so you get that sense of, but, uh, Hergé, yeah, he felt the ending was a little rushed. Um, so the, one of the things that, one of the reasons he didn't work for a long time during this period is because this was a period that he decided he was going to try his hand at being an abstract artist. And so um, sort of a major influence on, on his taste and his, you know, his interest in abstract art was a friend whose name was Maurice Stahl, who he had, it was actually uh, someone who Ergie uh, met through his brother Paul. And they were both at, in artillery school together. And Maurice Stahl, he was a career uh, soldier served in the army. He was retired as a colonel in 1960. And then he's sort of, you know, what am I going to do now? Well, he'd always been interested in, in art and he always kind of wanted to be an art dealer, but he didn't really want to commit himself. And so what, uh, what Hergé did was he basically paid for three months uh, rent in a space and said, here's your space, fill it with your art. Like, this is your chance, you know, so you don't have to, you don't owe me, don't owe me any money, just, you know. And so it became, it was called uh, Carrefour, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which means crossroads. Mm-hmm. And it was actually about two doors down from Erge, uh, Studio Hergé. And so it became Hergé's favorite place to go and hang, hang out. He would just, you know, when he was done work or when he didn't feel like working, he would just wander on down there and just sit uh, and look at the paintings or talk to artists or talk to Maurice Stahl. And that was, and so out of that, he began to uh, develop this, this interest in art. And he had a sophisticated taste. Uh, his favorite artists were uh, Juan Miro. Do you know Miro? Nope. Well, if you know the cover for Dave uh, Dave Brubeck's album Time Out, yes, that's a Miro painting right. on the on the front of that. Another guy named Serge uh, Serge, uh, how do you say, Polyakov, right? Who did? If I showed you his paintings, you kind of recognize them because they're, they're sort of these kind of blob paintings. They have like kind of various color blobs with maybe geometric shapes interspersed. And then the last guy who just fascinated him was this uh, Lucio Fontana who was an Italian artist that kind of came out of the futurist movement. But his, his canvases were, were, he would actually damage his canvases. Like he'd slash them mm. or he'd put pinholes in them. And Hergé loved them. He would have spent hours staring at these slash canvases. They just spoke to him in some strange way. Maybe he was just imagining Tintin's face and all his canvases. I don't know. But he just, yeah, he was just fascinated by this art. And so uh, he thought, well, I'm going to become an artist. So first thing I need to do is learn how to become a painter. So he actually went and got, I hired uh, or got lessons from this painter named Louis, Louis Van Lint, and he was uh, an abstract painter in Brussels. And so Hergé finished um, 37 abstract paintings, some of them with Lint's help, some of them just by himself. And then he took examples of those to this curator of a uh, museum, the uh, Beaux-Arts in, uh, in Brussels, I guess, and showed them to this guy. 
Leo Van Puvelt, his name was. And basically his advice to Hergé was, don't quit your day job. Hmm. You know, which isn't a very nice thing to say, but he basically said, you know, you already are the greatest cartoonist in mm-hmm. practically the world. Why do you want to become the an okay you're an abstract artist. painter? Because you're an artist. <laughs> yeah. So that's why. <laughs> yeah. What a dumb thing for an artist to say, or an art critic to say. Yeah. Isn't it? To another. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why would you want to to uh, do other art? Why would you? Especially when this guy was a was a failed jazz musician, or felt like he was a failed jazz musician because he didn't play double bass in a jazz band. Yeah. Like you couldn't. Come on, guy. Yeah. You've been doing this for thirty years. Why do you want to try something different? That sounds crazy to me. I think. I think that didn't help him, but I think Hergé was his own worst enemy as well. That he was too are. self-critical. Right. It's he, the old, you know. It's uh, what's it? it's the uh, the guy from uh, This American Life. That, that that famous thing that's like online all the time. Where he's talking about how Ira Ira Glass. Glass that's yeah. right. Where he's talking about how you know when you love something and you want to do something, your taste is is amazing, and then your skill level is low. Yeah. So no one knows better than you how bad you are. So mm-hmm. when you're starting off, you've got to contend. Not with just, you know, working your way up like a normal person would, but your taste is so good that you've got an extra weight on your back of like, I know this isn't good and ugh, yeah. it's just breaking you that the stuff that you're coming up with is, is, is not to where you know it should be. And if you didn't have that, you probably could do it. You mm-hmm. could probably pull it off and maybe he could do all this, but uh, you know, you're your own worst enemy if, if you've got good taste and you've got to like just really deal with you're going to do garbage for a number of years. And if you can't do that, then you're in a lot of trouble. And that probably was a problem. And it's, you know, been a problem for me doing these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's, it's, I, I'm really hoping you get better at it soon. <laughs> oh, garbage. Yeah. Um, so Ergie, don't worry, Dave, you'll never be your own worst critic. No, never. <laughs> I promise you this. <laughs> Thank you. A friend, a friend indeed. Um, I, Erge said about, he said, I got fed up with Tintin and tried to paint for four years. It's not quite true. You have to paint it for two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if one wants to paint, it must come from here, meaning the heart. And for me, that is already occupied by Tintin, unfortunately. But I think it's a bit of a cop-out it on is. his part. It is. That's a huge cop-out. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Don't buy that. You're not buying it. No. But anyway, he did 37 Plus paintings. Plus skills, and gave which up. you must then develop over time mm-hmm. and that's you know what's the price you've got to pay time time yeah but i think i think if he was honest with himself i think he was tired of not just tintin but he was just tired of work sure you know he'd been working steadily for like i say almost 40 years by this point and you know i think he felt like i'm making a lot of money it's my turn my turn to rest sure, sure. You know? i can go drink wine go to eat at restaurants travel the world yeah i mean there's nothing really at that point like well what what more would this money get you that you don't mm-hmm. have now yeah what's the thing it could buy you a fancier car a bigger house you can only sleep in one room at a time yeah you know ugh. yeah it's a drag like when you're telling me that he's you know going on all these wanderings in the middle of like working on books yeah yeah he's looking for something obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. so I mean, it's to our gain that these books ended up coming out. You mm-hmm. know, we benefited, but it is a drag. For him. You know, hearing that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he was almost forced to, to start this book because, this, is, this will sound weird, but because of the success of Asterix. Like, Asterix suddenly became this big phenomenon, not just in Europe, but also worldwide. There was a New York Times article about it, mm-hmm. which Tintin never got a world, you know, New York Times article about him. And I mean, it's a, partly a matter of timing, 
You know, Asterix came out in the 60s, came to prominence in the 60s, yeah. just as the world was sort of opening up through communication, through television, through satellite, through, you know, just allowed for this dissemination of culture across borders and boundaries that didn't exist when Tintin started. Right. You know, so, you know, Erge could send samples of his work to, to Walt Disney, and it was meaningless to them because it came from a completely different place that had no connection to them at all. Yeah, it's just the time in history. And also, is it a slow news week? It could be you that know, too. It's like, well, what do people like? I don't know. There's this asterisk thing. Put it on. Who okay, cares? We'll put yeah, it there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and there was an article in this uh, French magazine, L'Express, that claimed that Asterix had outpaced Tintin. And so it now enjoyed the success that had once been Tintin's. So, you know, this kind of spurred, uh, even though, even though Hergé said, you know, I love Asterix. Like, I am totally, you know, yeah. I have no problem with it. And I, I'm glad they're successful. Like, but at the same time, you, you know, he had a, this competitive feeling like, it's I've got to keep my... Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, I mean, to me in North America, the only reason I compare Asterix and uh, Tintin is both, I read both in French. Yeah. Uh, and they both were similar formats. That yeah. was it. That, yeah. they, they were they were those uh, size books. And that's why I think they're the same. But story-wise, they're not the same at all. They're not the same at One all. One is a real Bigfoot cartoony, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a character with a large nose in this. But, but you know, big noses, huge uh, yeah. huge bellies, and uh, you're, you're punching a guy literally to the moon. Yeah. You know, and then you got Tintin, grounded, realistic, slapstick, but everything is, is here on Mother Earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. In modern, different style. In modern right? day, yeah, and completely yeah. different style. Two yeah. different styles, yeah, because... Two different genres, two different Asterix comes out of Asterix comes out of the Spirou school of, of cartooning, so it's mm-hmm. more that what that's called the Marcinel school, which you see in people like Peyo or Franquin, uh, Morris, and people like that, that kind of came out of that style. And definitely Uderzo fell into that category with right. his art. But like Tintin is adventure uh, plus comedy as mm-hmm. a little, as to buoy it up. And yeah. Asterix is is comedy yeah. uh, with like some adventure to drive the comedy. But the comedy is first, I mean, completely it's about the comedy. Yeah. So yeah, I couldn't see two, mm-hmm. two stories being really any more different. Yeah. And I don't think it was what was similar about them interested Tint- or Erge at all. Just the matter of, of the fact that Tintin Sales. was slowly in people's eyes and not necessarily for sure by sales because sales were always increasing for Tintin yeah but he always was at constant loggerheads with Casterman because you know he insisted they weren't doing enough to promote it okay it feels to me like if it was North America and all of a sudden like Batman was complaining about Archie doing well it's like well who cares they're completely different admittedly you're both printed on paper yeah but aside from that that's that doesn't seem to be your competition but he did so yeah all right please continue uh I think he regarded all of them as competition for sure not just not just Asterix, but the Smurfs and whoever, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for Cast- in Casterman's defense, I mean, in their, from their point of view, Hergé had, in their point of view, Hergé had broken faith with the public. You know, three quarters of the books they were selling all were 10 years or older, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, there's no new product to, to promote. So how can you promote something if it's all old? And that was what they said to him. So that was another spur. It's okay, well, I'm going to make a new product. And so, and also his relationships with the magazine are also, you know, falling apart as always as well. So he's fighting with Raymond LeBlanc. Uh, and then I think as a snub, and this is my own personal theory, I think that Greg was used as a way, as a hammer against Hergé. I think, you know, Hergé's dis- dislike of the, the Bellvision cartoons, ad- cartoon adapt or animated adaptions of, of the adaptations, I should say, of uh, the Tintin stories. I think those kind of irked him, and Greg was had a big part of those. Okay. And then 
you know, then the foisting of Greg on him to to write the Thermal Zero story, stories that, you know, Erge, you're not res- not responsible enough to write anymore. We're just going to have you draw, and we'll get this guy in to to write it because he's more responsible and oh, he nice. can he can write a better story than you, you know. So that that <laughs> that's going to irk, right? And then more than irk, and then that's a punch in the face. Then he be, then LeBlanc appointed him as editor yeah. of Tintin magazine, and and the first thing that Greg said was, "Well, I'll do it if you will allow me to." put a little violence and sex into the weekly. So that was the thing. He felt like that young people were no longer interested in this sort of anodyne, kind of Catholic, chaste world that Tintin magazine represented, this sort of 1940, 1940s version of, of European morality or, or Belgian morality. What would count as violence? Because there's a lot of like gunplay and mm-hmm. these things and crashing planes and uh, things attacking, you know, and yeah. deaths and uh, rocks crushing people. I, What's the issue? I guess more... I guess more visuals of rocks crushing people would be it, not the off-screen the hands, violence. The hands sticking out? Yeah. You need a little of that? You need a little more. A little okay. More, and I don't, think, the red I don't think at the time they wanted more, you know, romance since it's uh, it's all dudes. Well, it's weird because, I mean, they were still battling against, the, what we talked about a little while ago, there was still this, or, you know, this organization in France that oversaw comic book content mm. and censored it. So no matter what their desire to put into it, they still had to fight against the censors. Mm. But I mean, that's what Greg, that was what he asked for. And I think what he was really saying was, what I want to do is, I want to turn around from Hergé. You know, Hergé has been the guiding spirit of this magazine. I want to be the guiding spirit of the magazine right. as editor. It's funny because, like, you look at the Nelvana cartoons that were adapted, uh, that adapted these stories later, and they had to tone down the violence that was in the original books. Yeah. Like, that, are, that I mm-hmm. guess, you're saying at the time was, well, it's very repressed and not violent enough for some people. Weird. Yeah. But it's too violent for now, modern audiences. But there's a difference between comic book violence and animated violence, though, I think, in terms of how it impacts... Yeah, well, I don't think you can. Uh, yeah, I don't think you really can kill people in the in the animated, mm. you know, Saturday morning cartoon, you know, uh, situations, which is which is interesting, you know, that that's a thing. But in the comics, man, how about it? <laughs> the devils can carry them away. Yeah. Uh, so now his pl- so Erge's plan was to kind of create a popular book. So he was like, I want an adventure story with a capital A. I'm going to have, you know, this big suspenseful thing happened with lots of action mm-hmm. and everything but he couldn't help himself but for, subvert it almost from the beginning like and i know that you so to me the castor emerald is the beginning of the deconstruction of the of the tintin world so you have a story that's entirely based in marlin Speck. they never leave it that's right they don't travel out so he's starting to take apart the world that we are used to as readers of tintin so that story plays with our expectations as tintin fans mm-hmm. you know it creates false expectations of suspense and mystery and then dashes them until the very end of the story when it just reveals that everything that's been stolen is sitting in a nest. It's not some nefarious bird brother who's returned from the past to steal anything. No, it's just a bird, a literal bird, not a brother. And so, you know, he's playing with our expectations. a lot of birds in that story. Yeah, that's right. So when he started with, when he started doing this story, he actually said, I want the line between good and bad to become blurred. I don't want it to be like obviously. Okay. One side isn't obviously bad, and one side isn't obviously so, good. So you're saying like the last issue was not, uh, or the last collection uh, was not viewed as an artistic achievement at the time. It was critics uh, liked it, but uh, yeah. in terms of fans and in terms of you know sales, it wasn't as big a seller. As I can, I can see that. I mean, what again? Just to briefly go back to it, something I admired about it was it seemed it kicked away all the crutches mm-hmm. that you nor- that he would normally use. And as an artist, a really it was a really bold choice. Yeah. And he stopped doing all the tricks, mm-hmm. and he went, "I'm just going to tell a story," and it was a good story. Yeah. 
You know, you're right. By the end, you go like, oh, I guess there was no real stakes. But you don't know that till the end. Yeah. And you are carried along and you are, there is suspense and intrigue. And then at the end, it actually does make sense. Yeah. It's not, you know, again, I have some problems with magic. It's not, uh, oh, this person could teleport and so it was fine. And so magic, he poof. Yeah. It's like, no, it all uh, played out. Yeah. No, no. I, if it wasn't, I a love Tintin, the story. Obviously. I think if it wasn't a Tintin story, it might even be regarded higher. You'd, if it was just you know its own standalone tale, you'd go, "That's a really good uh, entertaining story." Yeah, you know. Right. But yeah. if you know that Tintin before mm-hmm. this had been to the moon and <laughs> the abominable snowman and uh, all this and that, then yeah, I could see how you know as a well, as, as a young as a man young who's person, been yeah. waiting for years for the new Tintin to come. If the new Star Wars comes out and they spend all their time at Maz Eisley Cantina uh, talking about, oh. <laughs> Troubles, that would be good. troubles if nowadays. The, eh? If the next Star Wars is a drawing room farce, yeah, that just, would be my good. dinner with Andre, <laughs> my dinner with Obi Wan. Someone, someone stolen the whatever. My blue milk. My blue milk. <laughs> uh, so Erjay says that after he dressed uh, Rastapopoulos in his pink cowboy suit, he had this sudden epiphany. This realized this guy doesn't impress me anymore. He's not even a villain to me anymore. He's he's nothing. It just they seem to him they just seemed ridiculous and wretched. And I would argue that he already was creating that situation by dressing him in a pink cowboy outfit. Mm-hmm. Your decision to dress him in a pink cowboy outfit already means that you are starting to undermine the character. Like you don't say, I'm going to create a villain, I'm going to dress him in a pink cowboy outfit. That's not what you do. You go, he's going to be dressed in black, with a black hat and black sunglasses, and a mysterious car that drives, you know, something like that. You don't go, I'm going to make a villain, I'm going to dress him in a pink suit. That's not a villain. That's <laughs> It's a parody of a villain, right? Well, I mean, you look at... I'm sorry, I'm going to go for Batman for a second. You got a guy, the clown, who's dressed in a purple suit with a bolo tie, you know, as a minstrel gloves, yeah. you know, and a, and a flower that squirts uh, ass. Yeah, it, you, can, you can dress your villain as a, cra- as a crazy pants person. And I you think can, you do, there's but... a variety of James Bond villains that all dress in eccentric styles that would not... Uh, if you went out in public, people would go, ha ha, mm-hmm. but you know, he gets away with it because he's at the front of the table and push a button and all of a sudden you fall into the shark pit. Yeah. So the villain can dress bizarrely, you know, if you, if you want, it doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, bother me. I don't think it goes against the genre. I think the other thing he does to twist the story as well is Tintin is no longer the hero of the story. So Tintin doesn't rescue them from the island. There's a sudden stop break in the story, you know, the third act right. kind of stops and creates a totally different storyline where Tintin just becomes a passenger uh, of this, you know, uh, Mick uh, Rokotov, I think his name is in the English version. And then the astronaut Ex Machina that comes down and and rescues them. You know, so it's not Tintin and Captain Haddock, you know, heroically saving the day. Or figuring something out. Or figuring something out. They're just kind of... They're kind of just become passengers and, and towards and the end of the story. That has happened before in previous stories, you know, where, you know, you get to the end and yeah, the Deus Ex, Deus Machina, the, Deus you know, Ex Machina. Yeah, it kicks in and it's like, oh, yeah, well, lucky. Lucky you Well, there's survived. always been, there's always there's been lots luck, of luck. But there's, you know. But this is outside of luck. This is like, com- you know, complete, you know, ac- actions by not only different, it's otherworldly beings' yeah, actions. You I know? don't know, though. I think like if I was a kid and I was reading this story. Uh, you know, and we're going to spoil it because we're spoilers. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you had the what what you find revealed at the end. I'd be like, woo! I'd be. I'd I do admit, I had the opposite reaction as a kid to the story. You? Yeah, I did not like the story at all. Oh, interesting. As a child, yeah, okay. I liked it up to a point, and then I did not like it at all. Something I something I did like, uh, you know, when you're mentioning dressing your villain all crazy banana pants, is I liked that 
you know, something something that bothers me in stories is where you make the villain more interesting than the hero. Mm-hmm. Where the villain has a lot more depth, gets yeah. all the funny lines, yeah. you know, is the charming. It's the charming uh, killer who's brilliant and all this kind of stuff. And I like that in this one we have two villains. Yeah. And they're both pathetic. <laughs> And when they and then when they get into a villain off, yeah. it's even like more pathetic. And you're just like, oh, you think you're bad? I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. There are a couple of schmoes, you know. Yeah. And and I did like that. that no, works. no, I I don't think you. You don't wrong, become so. a villain yeah. uh, because you got all your act together. You become that kind of mm-hmm. you know greedy villainy, you know uh, scurvy little spider to quote, you know, uh, it's a wonderful life uh, because you don't feel good about yourself. So yeah. yeah, that that all worked for me. I like that. The other character that gets weirdly subverted, I think, is Calculus. Calculus goes from oh, there's a the bit, deaf... I got, I got huge problems with Calculus in this story. Yeah, because he goes from this sort of kind of weirdly deaf, ingenious character to strangely physical with his savate uh, demonstration. And then the, the, I would say, almost unprovoked, slightly unprovoked attack on on Kratos where he uh, you know, just loses it completely and... and you know, well, there is a there is a point where you know I would say it was a ferocious attack yeah. on him. There's it's a point where strange. the captain does the you know you're acting the goat and then realizes oh that's a trigger that's a trigger <laughs> word let's 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 not yeah, yeah yeah I mean calculus being quick to temper like a good nature good nature good nature say the mm-hmm. wrong thing ooh you yeah know, but that his, is a calculus but his trigger. anger isn't brutal though his anger is you know right just. You know, red my big, my biggest problem with calculus, you know, uh, and I'll get specifically to it as we go. But like the character traits that you've laid out for calculus and who he is, he doesn't do those things in in this story. And by the end of the story, it would be very appropriate for him to be interested in the machinery and things are happening and there's devices, yeah. like mad scientist type devices. Mm-hmm. And you're not using your mad scientist. He's right there. Yeah. And what are you doing? Uh, he's uh, angry and so he's punching people. <laughs> what? Have you look at his character bible? That's yeah. not what he is at all. It's, it's kind of, it is. Uh, I just, but I just feel like it's this kind of undermining of this of the Tintin universe that Erge can't resist at this point. That he just can't resist poking holes in his own. You know, he created this fantastic world, yeah. and he's so sick of it that he just can't help himself but create weird. You know, it's just it's probably he's probably unconsciously doing this. It would be know? like if at the end they all of a sudden they go to Oktoberfest and there's a drinking contest and the captain is off to the side going, "Not for me." <laughs> That's right. And no Tintin's the one getting drunk. Like I'll go. That's right. <laughs> it's like okay, wait, have you read your own work? <laughs> so uh, now Erge, you know, he was sort of starting to when he started to plan the story. Uh, he got his assistants to do various tasks, you know. So uh, Michel Desmarais, who did a lot of the lettering, he was sent to uh, take research photos and do sketches and stuff like that of the uh, Brussels International Airport and also the locking system on a Boeing 707, which I don't think is used in the story. I'll, we'll, have, we'll look at it as we go back through it, but okay. I don't believe it's used in the story. So it may have been a different plot point that wasn't used in the end. Bob Demore went to Ostend and studied World War II bunkers, which we see kind of transported into the, which I would think were Japanese bunkers on the island. Okay, yeah. And then uh, readers from Jakarta, were, readers of Tintin magazine, were asked to send in photos of uh, the Kamajoran Airport in Jakarta. Uh, so the studio would have reference materials for the control tower and the rival building and the terminals. So he was getting ready for the story, so he wanted as much as he could. Now, the final thing, and the part of the story that I really don't like, uh, now, at this time, it was very... It wasn't quite at this point yet. Erge, as usual, was slightly ahead of the curve just because he was in Europe where this kind of originated, this theory 
uh, the possibility of extraterrestrial life was, of course, very fa fashionable when we were younger, like in the 70s and stuff like that. And in the late 60s, particularly with the publication of uh, Eric von Daniken's uh, Chariots of the Gods. It has a okay. question mark at the end. Okay, I was wondering which why. Which came out in 68. <laughs> and I was wondering why the upspeak. But Hergé was, uh, he was influenced, more influenced and I think he was ahead of the, like I say, he was ahead of the curve in this, thanks to uh, was a guy named Jacques uh, Bergier, who wrote for a magazine called Planet. And he wrote a lot about extraterrestrial, you know, visitations and UFOs and stuff like that. Or as they call them in England, UFOs. UFOs, right, guys? UFOs? It's very strange when you listen to Graham Parker talk about the <laughs> UFOs. Um, he... I know. Uh, as a comic nerd, all I can hear when I hear that is the UFOs, F-O-E-S, who are Hulk villains. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, Berger also co-wrote a book that I think had a huge, a huge uh, influence on the the remainder of, of Western civilization till the, till we all disappear from the earth, which was this book called The Morning of the Magicians, which he co-wrote with this guy named Louis Powells which was like this kind of surreal alternate history of Europe showing the influence of the occult and secret societies on European politics. Right. So talking about like the occult use in the, in the, in the German, you know, in the Nazi, just stuff like that, right? So these are all kind of come down to us in various forms of pop culture, whether it's the Illuminati or our interest in like uh, Dan Brown's books. These are all kind of come back, go, follow back to this original book, which kind of started this. And the book was written as a, as a, as a bit of kind of a wheeze. It wasn't really intended entirely seriously. Right. It, that's why it's surreal. It's this kind of weirdly half dreamlike, half real. You know, they also talk about how alchemists were the ones who created nuclear uh, power and they understood how the atoms work better than we, we know. It is stuff like that, right? It's a lot sure. of interesting, weird stuff. And uh, so it was Bergier who is the model for, for Mick can rock it off. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, Another set of books was this guy. This guy named Robert Cheroux wrote some books. Uh, one was called "100 Years of Man's Unknown History," uh, which came out in '63, and "The Book of Betrayed Secrets," which came out in '66, and then "Masters of the World," which came out in '67. All of these were really in, uh, kind of um, influenced the story because this is the guy who kind of cr started the idea that Eric von Däniken ran with, which is the idea that. Uh, ancient civilizations were kind of kickstarted by by extraterrestrial visitors mm -hmm. which is a very popular very racist idea of how the world how was it racist what was the angle well i think it's very con if, if, how about not racist then how about condescending the idea that these brown people could not possibly oh, figure out how I to make a pyramid okay. only thing that would because cheru had a very nationalist or, or racialist idea that the that there was a race of people with blonde hair and blue eyes mm. And they were extraterrestrials who came to the earth. Right. And so they were, because he, he didn't believe in evolution. He believed in that we were devolving. So we started as this kind of extraterrestrial master race, which is identifiable by its blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. And over time, we have devolved to our current state. Did he have uh, an end game for our uh, de-evolution? I don't, I don't know. I don't know his whole story. I I'm just wondering, books. are we going to turn into monkeys? What's going to happen I don't to know. Us? I don't know, because to him... Blobs? Go to back to the ocean? To him, like places like Atlantis and, and Mu, M M U yeah. were real places were these kind of ideal civilizations once inhabited by these extraterrestrial beings yeah. that over time, you know, because we've been devolving, we're allowed to fall into ruin and disappear. I hate saying this kind of thing, but uh, but when I hear guys like that, I just go, too much free time. Like, he really <laughs> needs to work on his garden. He needs to work on some other stuff, get outside, do some charity work. Like, if you've got enough time to come up with that, nah, too much time. Way too much. 
Yeah, but I mean, it was a very influential idea sure at the time. Did. Learn how to bake bread. Just go. I mean, I grew up in the '70s, and so you know, we grew up with like a film of Chariots of the Gods. Sure. And you know, we had to, you know, and so we was had the film Chariots of the Gods. Did it have a question mark? I don't know. The book did. Yeah, I, was, I, I was don't know if the, the cover did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have it at home. I bought it at a used bookstore when I was younger because I was curious about what it was about, and I started reading it, and I was just like, "This guy's a racist." Yep. This ex-German Nazi has different different ideas about people on this That's earth. That's a real surprise. But I don't... Much These guys with. are giving those uh, Nazis a bad name with all this racism. <laughs> <laughs> well, this seems a very odd idea that, you know, the, the idea that Polynesians or whatever couldn't... There's no way they could build statues on an island ridiculous aliens had to come down and build these statues for I, them i do like the idea of de-evolution just because that is that is what so many people i think i think there's something inside you that goes like things are just getting worse okay. you know we're all getting... fans of devo so of course we believe that's, in it that's right uh now as usual i like to talk about the alternate titles oh indeed for the stories and when i was reading these alternate titles i hope it's not all flight 713 <laughs> flight 715 damn it okay we'll do something else then <laughs> um no, uh, when I was reading these, I realized that Hergé didn't really use the title so much as possible titles, but they're actually just like story ideas oh, okay. that he makes into, into the... Because I'm going to tell you. Sure, please. And you can hear like different story ideas that aren't used in the story. So the first one is... This one, Tintin and the Millionaire. Not bad. Mm -hmm. Not great. How about The Downfall of Rastapopoulos? <laughs> not, not great. Not great, but... You can sort of see a different alternate storyline coming out of that. I understand that, but we just had the Castafiori Emerald. So I got a problem with both of these because both of them sound like ah, more rich people stuff. <laughs> you know, if you want to mix it up, you know, it's uh, it's just too similar. You can't have proper names two in a row. It doesn't work. Go. Other one was called Were You Dreaming, Tintin? What? It's the end of the yeah, Shooting I, Star yeah, 714. Uh, yeah, yeah. All the Fine. stories for dreams. The Jungle of the Great Secret. Yeah, it's not the worst. Okay. It's okay. It's a little generic. How about the secret jungle? Secret. Well, it sounds too no, much like the secret garden. Sounds like the jungle. The jungle with a secret. Are you just making up stuff yourself yeah, right just, now? Yeah, I'm just trying to see if we can make that better. Uh, Tintin at the frontier of the world. Don't like it. Close. Close. Uh, <laughs> no bone for Snowy. No, is that really one? Yeah, yeah it is what? true. No bone for him in this oh, book. Oh, I would love to see what the. Uh, I would love to see what the what the what the cover would be. Just him going, him him dead. He died of hunger. <laughs> Stopover in Jakarta. He gets no bone in this thing at all. We'll have to see as, as we read it. No bones about it. We'll have to read it and see. Okay. Uh, Tintin and the people from beyond. Which well, is two on the nose. Well, I'll tell you with the ending. That's the yeah, problem. two That's on right. the nose. Uh, travel. This is a weird one. Travels shape the captain. Snowy gets a bone at the very end. Yeah, he's got a bone right there. Last page, boom, oh, okay. right in front of him. There we go. Boo, boo to that title. Moving <laughs> on. Uh, next one is Calling Dog Snowy. Calling Dog Snowy. Like yeah. as in, Calling Dog Snowy. Yeah. Calling Dog Snowy. That would work if, okay, here's the only way that works. Yeah. If the telepathic signal that's going out can only be heard by Snowy because of his hearing or something. So Well, he, no, he's the only one who's awake on the dinghy because he's unaffected by the hypnotism. No, I understand. But if you're yeah. saying Calling Dog Snowy, yeah. then it's got to be sending messages to that only snowy can get and then he's trying to convince everyone no follow me come on you fools could be tintin and the titans i don't mind that one and, that, that flows well tintin and the titans yeah that's yeah. all right and then i wrote and last and least venus from venus which tells you a different story that was going to happen there because it right. would have been a beautiful alien woman that comes 
And that would have been interesting. That would totally have been interesting. Totally untintin. Yeah. To have a, a beautiful woman in it. It would have been interesting to see who was interested in the beautiful woman. But I feel like when you hear those titles that you can actually hear uh, Hergé's thoughts as he's working through the story. He's kind of like, if I did the story this way, then we would call it blah, blah, blah. Travel yeah. Shape the Captain. Venus from Venus. You know what? I would read a sci-fi novel called that. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, though the only person who's really expressed interest in ladies is uh, is is Calculus. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who's like, ooh, ladies. But then to be fair, there's no ladies in any of these stories really anyway. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Unless that abominable snowman was uh, a woman. <laughs> you just didn't know. Hotcha. There's a twist. There's. I'm going to read that story again. <laughs> All right, so let's... Uh, let's go through it. Let's uh, get to it. Now, it's interesting, the cover. Let's just start off with the cover. I do like the cover a lot, except uh, for one thing. Except for the bandages over the uh, the mouth of the villain? Does it look like he's turning uh, into a mummy, but isn't quite... <laughs> like, it does. Like, when you first look at it, it looks yeah. like there's a mummy in a sensible hat, who's just like, you know, it's a business mummy that's sneaking up behind them as they, they're walking into this tomb. I like everything about this cover, except for the four the characters who are... They're, I think they're badly drawn on the cover. And Okay. This is a small, stupid problem yeah. I've got, which yeah. is uh, Let's this. Uh, is uh, is Snowy sweating like that because dogs don't sweat like that. He's uh, not sweating. He's ex- he's a surprise. It's I, just, am, it's, I understand. It's surprise. It's like saying that. Uh, oh, I forget it. Then what you do is surprise lines. You don't do sweat beads. But that's me. Uh, that's me being fussy. Uh, I don't like the shoes on uh, the the guy in the oranges. <laughs> it's just like the black socks and sneakers. Well, he's been wearing that through the whole story. I so. understand that, but it's a bit. It's a little bit odd. But yeah, I agree. They're not. Uh, they're not the best drawn. I just feel like yeah. It just feels like to me this whole book feels like uh, standards have dropped a little bit. And sure. what's working is okay, you know. And uh, you know, as uh, you know, we watched a quiz show about Tintin a while back, and uh, this is the only cover that's got uh, Tintin holding a gun. Hmm. So, There's a lot of gunplay in this book. There is a lot of gunplay. And the other interesting thing—well, we can talk about anything about the title—but it's interesting that the Flight Seven Four Seven Fourteen really is only a book bookend to the story. It actually has no part to play in the story. It's this flight that they miss at the beginning and that they're going to catch at the end. Yep. So. It's a good title. I actually like the title quite a bit. I think uh, whether it's this flight seven fourteen or flight seventeen seven fourteen to Sydney, I think it's uh, a very. But, but I do love that because uh, I love uh, I love tunnel. I love the tunnel shots and I love the rocks so much in uh, Tintin that I love the the way that these statues are drawn with with the uh, shading, the nice. chiaroscuro and everything is very very nicely done. Yeah. All right. So uh, then we uh, go to the title page. We see the plane going over the island. The with the way too, yeah, with the with the way too short runway. Great bit in the story. Yep. We can anticipate it. All right. Because I don't think if you're reading it when you're younger, you'd be going like, "Oh, that runway is not long enough at all." Yeah, you think that's long enough. And you know, what's your worst case scenario that you drive the uh, plane into the water? Ah, oh, you'll be fine. You're all right. <laughs> yes, that's right. What's your worst? What's the worst thing that can happen there? I don't know. Death. Yeah, I guess some death, maybe. <laughs> all right. So we're gonna start off with uh, page one, because why not? Yes. Uh, with a uh, nice shot of the Qantas airline. Mm-hmm. A Boeing 707, as they say in the uh, descriptor above, so it's That's very right. helpful. Touching down at, uh, now why don't you tell me the, the name of this place, uh, the uh, Kemajoran Kema Kema Airport? Yeah, Kemajoran Airport. Yeah. All right, there in yeah. Jakarta. Uh, so there, it's, the, it's Flight 714. Hey, from London, arrives in Java, last stop before Sydney, Australia. And so uh, people are departing from the plane. Mm-hmm. 
and we're hearing that you know it's uh you know uh, you see the captain there uh who is uh having a little bit of comedy business going on with calculus who is not understanding where he is so so far this story is off to one of my favorite things which is you know misunderstandings ahoy yeah like to me like i do a lot of flying Mm -hmm. and when i fly i have a ticket yes and my ticket has where i'm at on my ticket so this to me feels like even though it's comedy business Mm -hmm. the captain could lift his ticket up and show it to maybe calculus who mm-hmm. I know can read, yeah. and you see where he's at. But, but what you don't understand is that in these days of air travel, you carried a yellow plastic disc with you, and that's all that you had. All right. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> You're not buying it? No, I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> he can't understand that he's in uh, Jakarta. Uh, so anyway, he's walking out. And uh, they're walking along the runway, and uh, they're being told uh, by someone who's working for the airport, welcome to Java, transit passengers, this way, please. That means them. That is Tintin. That is the captain. That is Calculus and his uh, comedy business. And, of course, Snowy. Doesn't it, does it seem outrageous to you that Snowy is on a leash? Well, no, because he was just on a plane. So I could see there'd be some restrictions. In the, in the old days, he would just get on a plane with Tintin, and that was fine. No need for a leash. He'd fly to Sildavia. No one said, hey, why come your dog doesn't have a... It feels like in those days, like he was on a private jet or someone was flying him or someone that they knew was flying no, the plane. they're on a commercial. Commercial airline? Yeah. Okay. doesn't bother me that. It doesn't look like Snowy likes being on the leash. He's no, doing, he like, doesn't. It really looks like he's choking on that no, thing. No, that's why he escapes from it. But he does say that he, uh, he says he's a no-sky terrier. He prefers his feet on the ground. So he's complaining Snowy style. That's I'm a good. That's that. a good pun, though. The sky terrier? Yeah. All right. Very good. So, uh... <laughs> You don't like it? No, I'm fine with it. Everyone, the, everyone's doing their character stuff here. Like yeah. so, calculus. He's uh, mishearing stuff. Uh, Snowy, he's complaining about things. Tintin, he's fine with everything. And uh, the captain wants a drink. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and and what? But it's like he's like, uh, let's go get a drink. And uh, Tintin, instead of going, captain, mm-hmm. sh- no, because he knows what happens when the captain drinks. Yeah. This is gonna be a nightmare. But he's fine. <laughs> really? Well, the captain does drink all the time, but he doesn't. Dis- I mean, he's become much more modern in his drinking. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Seems I think, to, I think seems that was to me the when he goes off on a whiskey bender. All of a sudden, he's uh, hiccuping and throwing punches, <laughs> which you don't want to be when you're in a foreign airport. Yeah, yeah. No, it seems to have died out in these stories. Right. So, uh, so now Calculus spots uh, that he is in uh, Jakarta and uh, is uh, furious that you make it a fool out of me, not so telling mad. me where there's a sign here, and so just like. Mad. Again, uh, solve your problem by writing things down on a little pad. This is all I'm saying. The only person angrier is Ian. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, the captain spots uh, someone who looks down on his luck. Sure does. Uh, he's a very sad man. Yeah. He's sitting. He's got a horrible sneeze. And uh, the captain, for all of his complaining about, you know, to himself, he's like, look, someone really hard up. Yeah. I'm, here's what he's going to do. Yeah. So he, so he goes over and uh, he, uh, he, he picks up his hat that has just fallen off and he slips, slips a little money into the hat. Yeah. It's nice. It has a whole fantasy of like what's going to happen now. Yeah. The guy's going to find the money. He's going to get a sandwich. It's going to change. $5. That's, that's a bit of money that's in those days. That's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. It's going to turn his life around. It's at least, in our money, at least $6. <laughs> sure. So, You know yeah. how many sandwiches that could buy back then? Infinite sandwiches. Is that right? Yeah. They would just like have one of those gigantic uh, sandwiches, like a long Subway sandwich, yeah, and yeah. they just keep like feeding it into your mouth until you said stop. <laughs> so anyway, he's crying at how yeah. good a person he is, the That's captain, right. which I do like. I like this business. Yes, I like that the captain. We would all do that, of course. We all, I would imagine, the, uh, you know, the recognition of our goodness. Yep. 
And so the captain is uh, so smitten with himself and his good uh, deeds that he trips over a suitcase and yes. falls into Scoot. Yes. Now, or, where do we remember Scoot or a from? Suit. So, Red Sea Sharks. There you are. And they're happy to see each other. Nice to see you. There you go. Oh, our Estonian pilot. Remember when you tried to kill us? Yeah, but, you know, who hasn't? <laughs> Let's buy, let bygones be bygones. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, introductions all around. Introduce him to calculus. He finds out what, what you're up to. Uh, he says, oh, I'm a uh, pilot, uh, private airplane. Uh, you know that famous tycoon, Laszlo Karadias? Uh, Is that right? Uh, him, he's uh, the boss. I say Karadis, but whatever. You say Karadis. I say, eh. <laughs> let's just call the whole thing off. So yes. uh, explains, you know, oh, the uh, aircraft manufacturer, uh, says Tintin, the millionaire who never laughs. Mm-hmm. Famous for not famous. laughing. Yes. Well, you know, in the gossip columns of the time, yeah. he's a multimillionaire. He has had he's... 20 clowns killed. <laughs> he hates laughter. It says he doesn't, doesn't laugh. Yeah, it's an odd, odd thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to, uh, to bring up. So anyway, uh, yeah, they're flying to Sydney to the International uh, Astronautical uh, uh, Congress. So they're explaining everything that's going along. Uh, and uh, the captain's dropping uh, names and bragging, uh, saying, well, I'm, uh, we've been invited uh, to uh, the Congress uh, guests of honor, you know, uh, the first men on the moon. Well, he's been dining out on that for a couple of years now, huh? Well, for someone who who gets upset that people don't seem to realize that they're the men on the first men on the moon, I just want to say because we were talking about that with Tintin in Tibet, I just want to point out that it seems very likely that people in Tibet would be unaware of of their tri- trip to the moon. Right. Okay. That's fine. Like, I have no problem with with you know Tibetan monks in a monastery okay. not knowing that they went to the moon. Yeah. The only problem I'd have in say a story like this is if yeah. maybe there was I don't know a spaceship or something later, and maybe a mad <laughs> scientist, and maybe the scientist who built the real spaceship on Earth to go to the moon, they might have a little conversation about space because space and in here we're talking about space, and then we went to the moon. Yeah. In fact, you're bringing it up at the beginning of the story <laughs> for no reason really. Um, we're not going to bring that up. Later. Uh-huh. Okay, moving on. So, uh, that's the problem. There, everything's, uh, everything's fine. Uh, and, uh, is, uh, Zut is, uh, saying, <laughs> oh, you're off on an adventure. It's like, uh, Captain's, no, no adventure for us. You know, <laughs> uh, pleasure trip, uh, no fuss, no commotion. And then we hear a, <laughs> and it is, uh, Snowy, who, yes. uh, you know, what's, what's, so what's Snowy been up to? What's Snowy? Well, Snowy's been uh, stepped on by. So now you know this guy is kind of a, of a villain. You know he's a brute right away that he steps on Snowy and calls him a blasted mongrel, right? A skulking down there when he is a purebred uh, terrier, right? Who has where, been the first where, dog where? on the moon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unlike you, jerk, <laughs> almost broke my neck. Telex for you, Skipper. Here's the flight plan. Good old Telexes. Remember those? Gosh. Not really. No. Were they like a fax? They were kind of. Yeah, they were kind of like a. Automatic telegram, actually, okay. that came in. You get your morning telex. Uh, so Scoot gets the flight plan from uh, Paolo Colombani, the co-pilot with him. And, of course, he introduces uh, Haddock, Calculus, and Tintin. Again, we're all getting more introductions. perhaps don't really need an introduction because they went to the moon, as you like to say. <laughs> uh, so they have a little bit of a conversation. Then Colombani leaves. Apparently, he's the new navigator. The regular navigator fell ill. So, hmm, hmm, that is a, a little bit of a interesting thing. And uh, thing. Snowy uh, calls him a clod as he walks around. And then uh, now it's time for Scoot to point out his boss. Mr. Uh, Kratos. Mr. Kratos, uh, who will be happy to meet the first men to land on the moon. Yes. And the first dog. <laughs> the first dog, too. We're really hitting this men on the moon thing. Will it pay off later? <laughs> no, it will not at all. 
And, so, uh, of course, Haddock sees Curtis walking with his uh, secretary, Spalding, anything Spalding, who is much more dapper gent, is Curtis because he does look like a multi-millionaire. Yeah, and the, uh, and, and the fellow that he took pity on earlier has the $5 bill uh, flapping out of the back of his hat. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So, Scoot introduces... Uh, once again, we get another set of introductions to Captain Haddock, Professor Calculus, and Tintin. By the way, I like how Haddock is shaking uh, his hand, you know, and he's just grabbing it, and, and the guy is not being shaken back at all. Yeah, he just grabbed yeah. the wrist. Pretty much the dead fish. Yeah, dead fish uh, shake, and everyone is uh, just question marks floating over everyone's yeah, heads. Yeah. They're right. And this is, oh, excuse me, this is Mr. Spaulding, a secretary of Mr. Kratos. Here is Mr. Kratos, so then we see this... <laughs> this uh, fellow that previously Haddock thought was... Uh, a down and outer, a bum. It turns out that uh, it is Kratos, uh, who never shakes hands. It is extremely unhygienic. Okay, well, that's a thing that people do now. It's nice that he vaguely remembers uh, some expedition, but the details escape him. Uh, yeah, and I think, well, Kratos was, uh, was actually kind of a combination of a few different things. Mostly, he was uh, based on this uh, French industrialist, uh, who worked in aviation, this guy named Marcel de, Dassault. Um, so he he was the, he was invented the French fighter jets like the Mirage and the Mystère. Oh, okay. And the, his first one was the Uragan. And he was an interesting guy. He, his, he was actually born Marcel Bloch, and he was born in, in 1892. And he changed his name in uh, 1949 to Dassault. What's interesting, though, with Kratos uh, in the story is that in the story, he's born in 1899, in the French version. In the English version, I don't know why the translators changed his birth date. They moved it up to 1906 for some reason. Huh. It doesn't make any sense, like, why they did that. But, yeah, in the story, he's, yeah. So, I, yeah, anyway. So, he changed his name to So, which was the code name of his brother who fought for the French, or French, I say French Revolution, French Resistance. And, uh, yeah, his, his codename was Dassault, which was short for, for Char Dassault, which is battle tank. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, so he invented this type of aircraft propeller in World War I. And so that kind of started him uh, in the aviation business. And then, uh, it's interesting, like, he refused to collaborate with the Germans during World War II. So he was sent to Buchenwald. Okay. So he, he was in a concentration camp through the war. Then he was liberated from there, came back to, to, uh, to France, and then he started up his... A company again that's when he started building the, the fighter jets the mirage was the first one to have that kind of delta wing style you know with a oh, kind okay, of yeah. yeah so it's very very uh and then uh within, the other interesting thing about him is that two times his company was nationalized by left-wing governments once in the 30s the pop in the the this french government just took away his company mm -hmm. but because it was such an intricate business he was actually kept on as as like the the director of the company but it was owned by by France. So after World War II, he started another company, and that's the one that invented the mirages and stuff like that. And then in the 80s, once again, the company was going to be taken away from him, but he negotiated with the French government, and he said, you know what would be better is if we co-owned it. So he gave them a bunch of shares of his own shares. Oh, okay. And so then they co-owned the... Nice. Yeah. So in the uh, in the story, but also, well, go ahead, please. I also think that you can see a lot of Howard Hughes in his character as well. Sure, things the, like not, not shaking, shaking hands, hands yeah. kind of his OCD, and then uh, yeah, because he's kind of in, in that time. By this point in history, so the sixty-seven to sixty-eight, 
or sorry, 66 to 67, Hughes was already kind of famous as an eccentric. Yeah. And if you think of like an eccentric millionaire, this is the thing. Yeah. What's the thing? He can't laugh. He won't shake your hand. Yeah. He looks poor. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's in the rich guy. Well, because he, in Howard Hughes, you know, he had obsessive compulsive disorder, which was terrible to begin yeah. with. But he also, because of several air crashes, he had a condition called allodynia, which meant that he hurt all the time. And he would just hurt from like his skin would hurt. So he couldn't wear clothes because it would cause him agony because of this condition. Yeah. And so that that's why he would sit naked uh, because to wear things was was uh, oh, so painful man. for him. And then like he would cover himself with a, with a pink napkin. He would cover his genitalia with a pink napkin just because he was OCD. So he had to do the same thing all the time. Yeah. And then he would just watch movies all the time because it was a way of distracting him from this agony of pain that he was constantly feeling. So there is a re- and that's the other reason he didn't cut his hair and cut his fingernails is because it was so painful for him to have his hair cut and his fingernails clipped that he only would go through that agony once a year. Oh, man. Yeah. It's rough. It's terrible. I mean, there's a reason why he's... Yeah. A- and the other thing that, that feeds into these characters is Hergé's uh, dislike of capitalism and tycoons and stuff that he kind of learned at, you know, working at uh, the Vantiam Siakla, you know, in those, in those times, like that kind of sort of right-wing Catholicism was very anti-capitalism, anti-democracy, you know, so, you know, out of the, so those kind of things are all feeding into his, you know, his usual presentation of a tycoon as sort yeah. of a villainous fellow, you know, and that's part of that as well. It's so. also a good story thing, you know, yep. you don't want to have the rich, uh, the rich noble guy, it's a tough guy to pull off, yeah. maybe Daddy Warbucks, maybe he's good, but that's about it. <laughs> Uh, it is a weird picture, by the way, of the captain. That's because uh, Daddy Warbucks loses his money every every couple of months. Sure. All his money disappears and he has to earn it all back. So, like, the uh, the captain's reaction uh, to uh, the never shaking hands and, you know, so I sort of remember you guys. It's a weird twist to the face that doesn't look really in, uh, on model to me. Uh, that one right there. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, too many uh, too many lines... Uh, the, the, the scribble around the jaw yep. just doesn't, doesn't play right with me. But that's possibly just me. So, uh, no, no, I, I, I agree. I think you'll see lots of things that are kind of clumsily done in this right. book. So, but we do have a nice uh, little bit of physicality here where uh, Calculus pulls the uh, bill from behind uh, the millionaire's mm-hmm. head mm-hmm. and uh, he laughs for the first time. It's, yeah. Oh, can you believe it? this hasn't happened in years? Uh, we must have drinks, drinks. You know, older than usual, eh, Spalding? Uh, but we mustn't be extravagant, must we? No, sir. Uh, so we're going to get some uh, Sanic Cola. It's healthy, invigorating, overflowing flowing with chlorophyll. Mm-hmm. And the captain's trying his best to pretend that he likes it. Uh, we haven't had Tintin talk for a long time. I think that's a mistake. That's just me. Uh, I'm going to say a lot of that's just me's. No, that's fine. But don't say that's just me. Just say I think that... I think Tintin should should be having some reactions to some of this stuff. I think stuff. he should be more a part of the story. I agree. Yeah. So uh, particularly the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, boy, he loves uh, he loves this natural clown uh, that is calculus. Calculus, of course, not understanding this at all. Mm-hmm. So maybe this will go somewhere. This uh, this this business here, and then uh, he turns to Captain and says, uh, "Captain is a seafaring man. Uh, I'm sure you're fond of uh, ba uh, ba uh, ba." Uh, black sheep, uh, bah, uh, battleships, uh, battleships. You're an expert and wants to play a game of battleships. Oh, yes. But him. Who wouldn't? Well, I wouldn't if I find out how he plays battleships later on. So they uh, pour the pour the drinks, uh, the the Santa Cola flowing over with chlorophyll, 
And, uh, you know, uh, we get to, these gentlemen are traveling with us. Have the airline uh, tickets canceled and transfer their baggage to my aircraft right away. And get a lot of but, 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 and, uh, and uh, calculus uh, Bombay. He can't hear nothing. That's his problem. In the, Him and Mr. Magoo ought to get together and have an adventure together. In the uh, French version, he says très juste, which, I mean, I guess it means something like uh, very good or sounds right. Or... And here's how we know that, uh, that the, the millionaire is a jerk. Because mm-hmm. he goes, uh, any objections, Spalding? Uh, no, sir. I was thinking, I don't pay you to think, Spalding. Now you there know he's a jerk. There know. we go. That's yeah. just full on, full on <laughs> jerk. Uh, Tintin is trying to say, we really can't. Nope, nope, nope. We're going to to your health. Drink these drinks, and we're going to go take off. And uh, oh, Spalding walks off, just steaming in his own juices. <laughs> he's so mad, his hair's turned red. Oh, it's right at the beginning. That's sorry. right. Patience, Spalding. Your time will come. But Spalding is wearing a nice hat. Yes. I gotta give him that. Yeah. I'm not a hat expert, so I can't tell you what kind of hat it so is. So off he goes, though. He's going to warn the chief. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Yeah. And then uh, Snowy escapes from the Yeah, and uh, then Tintin, Tintin realizes that uh, his name is on the front of the book and goes, <laughs> I should do something. Uh, it's like, uh, oh, Snowy, where is he? Uh, notices he's off his lead mm-hmm. and uh, has to go find that rapscallion. Yes. Yeah. But let's cut, uh, let's cut back to Spalding. And what's he up to right now? Spalding is talking to, apparently he's talking to Walter. Okay. We don't know who Walter is. Nope. We're not introduced to him. Nor is he introduced to uh, Calculus, Haddock, or Tintin, <laughs> one of the only characters that isn't introduced to him, to them. So uh, Spalding, is ta- he says, you know, you, you must contact the chief. Sneezewort, which is apparently, old Sneezewort apparently, which is a code name for uh, Kratos, has invited three people to travel with them. Uh, I met them accidentally, so it's all off, understand? So he's told it's too late. Everything's fixed, so it's going to go ahead. doesn't matter. We can't. The chief's going to change his plans. If you think the chief's going to change his plans for three stray hangers on, you have you have your orders. Do as you're told. Man, so. this guy gets bossed around by everybody. Yeah, he's just a functionary. Shut up! <laughs> you think it's his plan. Yeah. He feels like he's going to put one over on his boss, but really he's just throwing himself into a terrible yeah, web. Yeah, your opinion means nothing. <laughs> so Tintin finds Snowy. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm nicked. Uh, back on that dratted lead. And as he bends over, uh, Spalding comes out and uh, hits... Does a, a terrible job of covering for himself. I mean, he could just say, pardon me, and walk away. That's all you need to say. You don't need to explain yeah. why you're on the phone. Well, if you're if you're telling a lie, like I don't think any of our listeners should ever tell a lie. Please don't please try to tell a lie. Tell Unless, us. of course, you know, you've got to lie to the Nazis, in which case, please do lie to the Nazis. <laughs> but if you're telling a lie, don't do what Spalding does, which is just have sweat pouring off your face, yeah. which may be surprise. And pull at your collar. And then pull at your collar with a, <laughs> that sort of is the sign of I'm lying to you now. <laughs> so... Uh... Yes, he tells Tintin a rather unconvincing story. And Tintin, uh, of course, says, I'm sorry to be a nuisance and see you later. And then as soon as uh, Spalding walks away, Tintin kind of scowls and says, a cousin indeed. That's a, that's a tall story. He feels it's a tall story. Yeah. Although to be fair, tall, Spalding is rather tall. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so uh, so now we're getting a little bit uh, more back and forth with, I'm just going to call him the millionaire, uh, with the, the millionaire and the professor. Uh, saying, you know, do you enjoy battleships? Battle door? I used to... I'm not even going to go with this, but you get you get the bit. Uh, meanwhile, the captain is smelling his chlorophyll cola, not digging it. Sani cola? Nope, not at all. But uh, but Calculus goes on about his history uh, as being a bit of an athlete. You know, tennis, swimming, uh, rugger, soccer, fencing, skating. Did them all in his youth. 
And as he goes on, uh, the word balloon covers almost the entire panel. We cannot see yeah. the captain behind it, but I do like that they use that uh, so that he can just uh, secretly throw his chlorophyll onto a plant. Sanicola, it's called. Yeah. It has chlorophyll in it, now, I would, which you think would be helpful help, for a plant. This is, a, this is why this yeah. joke doesn't work for yeah. me. Yeah, he throws it onto the plant, and the next time we see the plant, the plant's dead. No, the plant should be thriving. It should be, like, way more plant. But anyway. Yeah, I'll, I think they should have left off the chlorophyll part of it and just made it a parody of Coca-Cola. Yeah. And then just had him put Coke, you know, because we all, we, all, we all love to drink Coke and secretly hate it at the same time. It's, it, kind of, it kind of embodies us, ourselves, our own view of ourselves. It's yeah. all wrapped up in Coca-Cola. You're absolutely we, right, Dave. We drink it. What's that, sir? <laughs> we drink it, mm -hmm. and yet we hate ourselves for drinking it. So yeah. we, we like to read Facebook articles about how bad it is for us while drinking it. And then we see that those were all faked. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, there's a demonstration that uh, Calculus is giving. In, Facebook isn't real? Uh, yeah, that's right. In, uh, is it Savati? Uh, uh, yeah, it's Savat, I think. It's a French boxing. It's basically what it is. Right. Uh, so he's doing uh, that, and all the stuff is flying off of him, uh, and then he falls on his face, uh, which makes the millionaire laugh even more. It's hilarious. So, it's so uncharacteristic, though. Although, is it? Gosh, he was on roller skates in the last in the Red Sea Sharks one. Well, here's the thing, though. I mm. mean, we, we. I just feel like he's not been this physical at normally. All. Yeah. No, and also he's been kidnapped so much, right? Yeah. You're like, why didn't you fight? Yeah, why didn't he? Where was this savat? Then. Yeah, where's this? Where's the French boxing skills? Yeah, either he's telling the truth, because yeah. he seems a truthful sort. He doesn't seem yeah. like a liar. So, okay, if he's got all these skills, he yeah. would at least have tried them. And why didn't he get ferociously angry at these guys for kidnapping him and, and beat the t living tar out of them? Do you know the problem is, this? here's, here, here's where I think that the mistake was made. And boy, am I getting on my high horse saying, <laughs> I think... Here's oh, you're saying. better than energy, are you? I think in this case, here's the problem. All of the bits that you, you're doing with calculus here... Mm -hmm. You could be doing with Thompson and Thompson. Like Thompson and Thompson would be the ones going, we're trained in every part of martial arts. Yeah. Well, let me show you right now. And yeah. falling, oh, I'm falling down. Oh, I'm not very good at this, am I? Yeah. You know, and, and the millionaire could be laughing at, at them as well. We found this uh, dollar behind your hat. Uh, there you are, sir. Oh, you're oh, brilliant, you buffoons. You know, because they are those kind of buffoons, whereas yeah. calculus isn't that kind of character. Yeah. And they're kind of forcing him in that, in this, in that slot. So I think that is a bit of a problem. Yeah. And then not using him as a scientist. It's also a problem. Once again, I just feel like uh, Erge <laughs> was undermining the character. You know, and I just feel like this I is part know. of that now, sort of saying, deconstruction of the character. I don't character. know if it's deconstruction as much as just having a character not act like... Is a character yeah. not acting in character... Well, that's what I mean, yeah. But is that deconstruction? It seems like deconstruction is showing what the flaw in that character is. Like, I don't mean it that way. I mean it in the sense that he's just kind of slowly undermining the universe in this way, that he's taking it apart in front of us. And he starts with Castafiore Emerald... And he certainly carries it out in this in this in this book. We see all the characters become unlike themselves, yeah. except for the Captain Haddock. And, and, and that feels more sloppy to me. Then mm -hmm. it seems like you want to do the joke, and you put a character in that doesn't fulfill what your need are for the joke, and you go, yeah. "Good enough." Uh, Maybe a good enough. I need a, I need a perfect circle. I How feel... about this oval? That's eh, fine. There we go. <laughs> I, I do feel there's a bit of that too, but I just feel like it's an unconscious. Uh, subverting of the characters that's going on. Okay, so the plant is dead. <laughs> the long and the short of it. The long and short of it is the plant is dead. Uh, the plant, which can't take chlorophyll. <laughs> anyway, again, folks, this is what we're saying. Cut um, to, yeah, it should have been like fluoride. Cut to someone. That would have been better. 
With fluoride, yeah. yeah. That would have played into the that kind of weird paranoia of the time. Let's talk to the translators and see if let's we can get, fix that. Let's get on to Hershey. Yeah. So, get out the Ouija board. Uh, someone is looking. Get out the Ouija board, Ian. That always goes well. Sure. Uh, someone is looking through Obviously their... an American. Why are they obviously American? His hat and cigar and his orange shirt. All say uh, American to me. All right. I thought it was because how he was holding his binoculars. That's right. It's like American it's style? It's American style holding out the binoculars. Two hands with a thumb underneath. That's so, so American. In Europe, they usually hold the hands the other way around with a thumb on top. Sure. Then they drop their fork before they eat. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so he's saying the fellow with binoculars is looking and saying, Spalding was right. Sneeze Wart has collected three passengers. That's their bad luck. But, but, oh, I must be seeing things. It's Tintin. <laughs> Very shocked that it's Tintin. Yeah, I guess this is the same guy who was watching them in the last, uh, in the Red Sea Shark story. The one who arranged the, uh, probably is actually, if we look back at the Red Sea Sharks, oh, okay. it's probably the same character who arranged for the, the air crash, you know, if we the were, bomb on the plane. If we were smart, we would have all these books in front of us and be able to go, pull, look, yeah, but we, we but we're, we're not, not doing that. We're not, Once again, the podcast is free. This not is really that uh, clever. Okay. Not that clever at all. So uh, Millionaire is, uh, is, is uh, outside the plane saying, this is my newest brainchild. Uh, they carry Caryatus uh, uh, 160, uh, a triple uh, jet executive aircraft, hey, a lot like Howard Hughes making aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, with a crew of four uh, and six passengers at 40,000 feet with a cruising speed of Mach 2, or about uh, 1,250 miles per hour. The Rolls-Royce uh, turbo uh, mecha uh, turbojets uh, deliver in total uh, 18,500 pounds of thrust. And uh, so... I just want to see what and by uh, the way, I like that Tinson says it's magnificent, and uh, and Snowy goes, "Oh, he's not a big fan of uh, being on another flight." You know what? In the French version, it uh, it has altitude of uh, twelve thousand meters. Okay, it's two thousand kilometers an hour, yep. and it uh, can, has about eighty four hundred kilos of, of force. And now you know what it is in metric, everybody. Uh, being now, Canadian, we have to get we have to do that in metric as well for sure. Right. Yeah, the name Caritas or Caritas is or whatever a I pun. Said. It's a French pun yep. uh, for four aces. Carré da. C-A-R-R-E okay. accent, whatever, which now in the end, the, pointing towards the end of the word. Uh, D apostrophe A-S, which is French for four aces. And so if you look at the logo on the tail of the plane, you'll see that there are four aces in the diamond shape. Okay. That is why. And now this plane, mm-hmm, please. this plane is not a real plane. This plane was designed for the book by Roger Leloup. Uh, so what basically what happened is the usual uh, Hergé wanted uh, the Great S-160 to be as realistic as possible. So kind of like the unicorn or like in the book, The Secret of the Unicorn, or like the, the rocket ship in Destination Moon and, and Explorers on the Moon. So we had Roger Leloup, who was kind of an aeronautical expert, at least in the studio. He had him design a supersonic jet aircraft that while not yet a reality, was plausible. And so Leloup sat down and he created the jet. And so he designed, basically he designed a prototype of a supersonic business jet, which is a three-engine plane for 10 passengers and four crew. And in Tintin Magazine, they published a detailed cross-section of the Kratos 160 with all the technical specifications, Mm. uh, this big double-page spread in 1966. So they published this big... Thing. And what's interesting to me about the 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 um, plane has a sweep wing, like the the wings can go out or they can be brought back in. And Des, now Dassault himself didn't 
design a he didn't or design he probably was designing at the time the story was being published but he didn't build a prototype of a sweep wing plane until uh, 1968 with the Mirage G. So I think it's kind of interesting that they're sort of mm. anticipating the invention of that. Although it, it already existed before that, there are other planes, I think from the 40s on, that, that use some variation of the sweep wing in order to create uh, a streamlined plane that could go at supersonic speeds. That was the idea of it. So you had enough wingspan for takeoff, and then once it got up into the sky, then it would they could be brought in in order to travel at supersonic speeds, and the wings didn't impede the, the, uh, yeah, the aerodynamics. I wonder if this has been made into a model. Probably has. I pro I'm, I'm pretty sure it has. Yeah, yeah it's pretty famous. Believe, yeah, every, pretty famous plane because it was so. has been made into something. It was really ahead of its time. Like it was a really a revolutionary idea at the time. Like now we're kind of like, oh, supersonic private jet, yawn. But at the time, it was just like, wow, yeah. what a great idea. That's super cool. Now here's something else that's super cool. Your steward is uh, waiting for you uh, with a silver platter, and on the platter is a red phone. And there's a phone call from you for you on your plane. Wow, that's pretty good. That's right. Uh, so it's a telefono from New York. Uh, that'll be Goldberg gets on the phone. Please board the aircraft, gentlemen. Gino, look after my guests. See, si, Senor. And uh, gets on the gets on the phone. Still corded. Has to be. Come on. What do you do? It's yeah. The 60s. <laughs> Still pretty amazing though. Yep. Uh, hello. Yes, of course. Uh, the Park Bennett sale. Well, three Picassos, two uh, Brocks, and a Renoir. Junk. Anyway, I haven't, uh, I haven't an inch of space to hang them. What's that? Onassis after them. Mm, then buy. Get them all. What? I don't care how much. Buy. That's how rich this guy is. Yeah. And this little little reference by Hergé into his real real interest in life, collecting art. He was he was offered a Rothko in like seventy two. Uh, it was nine million dollars at, uh -huh. at least. Either nine million pounds or nine million dollars. And he thought about it, but in the end, said it was too expensive. Because he wasn't like create, like he loved to collect art. Yeah. But he wasn't like so obsessed with it that he would like spend oodles of money. Well, he was spend forever, like uh, just protecting it. I mean, yeah. you got that'd be under constant guard forever. You know. Yeah. Uh, you don't need that stress <laughs> in your life. Be pretty nice to have a Rothko, though. Right. So uh, then it's of course Scoots on there. Intro introductions all around. Um, <laughs> you know what this 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 uh, book should have been called? Introducing Tintin. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Introducing them. So, uh, and then uh, someone trips, uh, falls. It's Spalding, uh, who uh, caught his foot on that blasted telephone cable on the way up. And, uh, and the millionaire goes, you're ridiculous, Spalding, ridiculous. Yes, but I grotesque Spalding. <laughs> it's a mean millionaire is what this guy is. Yes. Yeah. And he starts laughing again. He just laughs at old Spalding, just laughing. Mean <laughs>, laughs. And then sneezes. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's shocked. It's the third time he's laughed today. It's yeah. really weird. Yeah. Maybe it's not even healthy. Anyway, so uh, sits down. He's having a game of uh, battleship uh, battleships with uh, the captain. Uh, Tintin is, uh, is, is looking a little suspicious because he saw the millionaire uh, give the steward a wink yeah. before the game started. Mm -hmm. So, you know. And we see uh, Snowy on Tintin's lap uh, looking miserable. <laughs> Does not like to fly. Yeah, he's not into this. Now, has Snowy been in a plane that's crashed before? Seems well, like he must have. Yes, because they dropped out of the out of the plane in, in a seat, and and Tintin fell into a into a haystack, and Snowy fell onto the top of the parachute, and for, for that's right. Well, that'll yeah, make a dog scared of that's a gonna, flight. That's going to create this. Yeah, I would feel if you had if you had whatever it's called flightophobia after that. I don't blame you. Yeah, I'd have hayophobia. <laughs> Parachutophobia? Sure. All of them. The whole gamut. So. I don't know. Is it called? It's not called phobia. obviously. I don't know not. what it's called. That'd be ridiculous if it was called that. <laughs> Aviophobia? Uh, 
Nah, you're, you're shrugging. Maybe that's fear of birds. <laughs> sure. We could look it up, but uh, free podcast. We're not doing that. So um, so off the, the plane flies, uh, we see the person who was looking through the binoculars earlier, mm-hmm. who you claim is American, uh, saying, the bird has flown towards the cage. I think pretty obvious with that color of hat that he's an American. <laughs> I don't think you can judge an American yep. by his hat. Yep, you can. There's many states. Mm. So uh, the, uh, the game's going on, but uh, Captain... This is another to- problem with this book, the game. That they're playing a game of Battleship? Not that they're playing a game of Battleship. That's fine. Is it? It's... For how long? How long is it fine for? Well, <laughs> Excitement-wise, two guys playing Battleship in a plane. I mean, there's other things happening, but <laughs> what's the problem? The problem is, 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 is Kratos' tactic, which is that he's right every time. He doesn't have like a few miss. Yeah. In order to like def- deflect. I mean, if you're no, playing you're Battleship thinking, with a person yeah. and every shot hits your battleships, your first thought would be, this guy's cheating. Yeah, but what are you going to care? He's a millionaire. He doesn't care. What are you going to do? You're going to call him a cheater? He's going to throw you off the plane. It's his plane. There's no cops around. Okay. You know? He's that arrogant that he's that he's just looking like he's great. So anyway, we got to reveal how he's winning. Uh, he's got a little tiny camera yeah. above uh, the captain's mm-hmm. seat. Uh, and uh, it, that's creepy. Yes. Has he got it just for Battleship? Yeah. It's a creepy thing to have in your plane, like cameras. I would he's never. A cheater. I wouldn't go to the bathroom in that plane. He's a cheater. Yeah. He's like uh, he's like the uh, Beatles' ex-manager Ellen Klein, who uh, cheated at tennis. So it doesn't matter how much money you have; it's you, it's how you feel about yourself that sh- shows up in what you do. Well, if you want to hear more Ellen Klein bashing, completely Beatles was our podcast <laughs> we did before this. <laughs> All right, so uh, he's losing terribly, uh, the captain is, and then uh, he pulls a William Shatner mm. or slash John Lithgow, depending on your age, and is looking out the window and goes, the wing! Something's on the wing. I think both of those are pretty old references now. <laughs> sure. It's probably, it's probably come back around to William Shatner, actually. All right. Through the Simpsons. So what's going Futurama. on? What's going on with the wing? Well, that's what we're talking about. It's a, it's a swing wing jet, so the the wings are able to tuck into the closer to the body of the of the aircraft in order to create the aerodynamics that allow it to go at supersonic speeds. Mm-hmm. There you go. Wouldn't you think, by the way? Like I know the angle is this guy's a real jerk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, but he's he's he never laughs. Yeah. And now he's laughing a lot. Yeah. Wouldn't you think that the angle would be that uh, now he's a better person because he's laughing and laughing and enjoying the joys of laughter when it changes heart and lighten his mood? Nope. This isn't the Grinch. No, he's just, this yeah, not, he's the anti-Grinch. It's like a different story. Yeah, he's like, he, he's laughing for the first time in years, and it affects him not a whit. He's the same personality, mm-hmm. nothing but changes. But he's not laughing in a pleasant way. He's laughing at people's misfortunes. But he wasn't at first, like when, when the $5 bill was pulled yeah. from behind his ear. It was just like, delightful, yeah. oh, whimsy, what a thing. Yeah. You know, then it's But after mean. that, yeah, then after that, mean. he's like laughing at calculus because he falls down. So even that to me is a little bit of a problem because it's like, so what makes the, the millionaire laugh? Uh, some childlike whimsy? That would make sense because, yeah. you know, something from young and innocent would work. Uh, but it's like, oh, just mean things. Yeah. Okay, just mean things would work. But then you mix it all up and you mm. just go, hey, he's just laughing today a lot. Why didn't he laugh? Did no one fall down in four years? Did nothing terrible happen? <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, Maybe the, the the bill kind of sparked it. It sparked the oh, laughter. It uncorked, it uncorked the, laugh, the laughter. The laugh hole. But really, what he finds funny is people's misfortune. Because, you know, he's probably stepped on a few people to get to where he is, you know. Right. So I think he's I th- unsympathetic. I think that's what we're saying. It's not deconstruction that's the problem. It's consistency. Okay. And, 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 you know, as much as I'm not a big fan of... 
you know, the uh, deaf humor with with uh, calculus. If it's consistent, I'm like, yeah, it's um, I'm with it. I understand that's what we're going to do. Yeah. But now it seems to be all over the map. Anyway, okay. it, by the way, it could be your favorite book, everybody, and that's fine if it is. So he explains how the uh, the wings pivot and whatnot, and the captain listens to this, and uh, and then back to the battleship game. Yes. And he gets three hits. Uh, directly on his battleship. Now, here's what I don't understand about yeah. this. Yeah. Now, you've played the game Battleship. Yes. Now, when you say, it's three hits on my battleship, yeah. you've now told the person it's a battleship. The the thing the thing is, when the when it hits, you don't know if it's two, yeah. you don't know if it's five. Don't say it's a frigate or it's a you destroyer don't know, or a battleship. But if you say it's a battleship, yeah. now they know there's four in a row. Well, I don't think there is actually a designated battleship, though. I think they all have, they're different names, right? Yeah, but he's just saying generically you sunk my battleship. But battleships no, no. is the name of the game. No, no, I understand. But he, no, he says uh, different. Yeah, I think he's saying uh, different hits to the different. But yeah, here we go. Uh, you know, uh, a destroyer sunk with two shells and a hit on another destroyer. Okay, so when you say that okay. you've got a hit on a destroyer, you've now told him how many uh, things it is, and that will affect you know uh, your placement and whatnot. It just seems like a bad thing to say. In, a, in the game. Yeah, you're right. It's okay. bad, bad tactics. But I guess it's it helps the uh, narrative. All right. So the dialogue has to tell you what's happening. While this is all going on, uh, apparently Spalding is getting very excited. He's chewing his nails. He's looking at his watch. And Tintin is uh, noticing this and scowling, as is Snowy, who might just be scowling because he doesn't like flying. I think Snowy's scowling because he doesn't like flying. I don't think he's very aware of what Spalding's doing. That's right. And then uh, you know uh, the captain uh, gives, and this is the other thing in a game of Battleship. He's saying three in a row, three in a row. Yeah. And then the um, the, the the millionaire is like, no, three into the water. Like whenever I've done Battleship, it's like one at a time. The the game. Have you done it like where it's multiple shots that you take? Yeah, no, I've just done it as one. But they they seem to be playing a different variation of it. Do you know what I think it might be? And this is my theory. Okay. Is that if you hit, say, a destroyer, and say the destroyer, I don't know if the destroyer is uh, three or four or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, let's say it's three. Three. It's three. It's three. So you hit a destroyer. Maybe then, or okay, then maybe you get like, you get two shots now. Let's see if you can sink it. You get two shots after you've hit no, it. No, no, I think this game is just a variation where you get three shots per t- per, per go. I'm going to look this up. It's probably curious. a faster version of the game. Right. Anyway, let me just say, it is some exciting Because they don't, they're uh, not airplane. playing with the board game either. They're just playing on, on in a book. They have like a... Well, actually, it. yeah, you're right. They are playing like... Uh, it looks like a printed out sheet. Yeah, well, they have. it's a book because you, you can see the, the front of it on, uh, earlier in the story. Oh, correct. Okay. So... Uh, so then uh, Spalding says, uh, Miller, uh, I'll just go along uh, to the pilot's cap- cabin uh, to see if everything's all right. Do you have to keep disturbing me, Spalding? Can't you see I'm busy? Oh, man, Spalding can't win for losing. Busy cheating. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, Tint says, I don't think I can trust our friend Spalding. Nope. All right, so into the cockpit. You know, and uh, Mr. Uh, Karadis uh, sent me along. I'm going to have a trouble with that name. Yeah, just, just say it with... with the, uh... the millionaire sent me along. Uh, he wants to <laughs> know our position. Yeah. So, you know, getting the information and uh, saying, by the way, Skipper, uh, he'd like a word with you. Me? All right, well, I'll come at once. And so off he goes. Uh, there he goes. And uh, But it doesn't look like he had anything to say to him at all. What's the deal? What's... Yeah. You know, what's what's going on? Uh-oh. Uh, Spalding's got a gun. Yes. And everyone goes, Spalding! What's the meaning of this stupid joke, Spalding? You know, it means, my old baboon, that I'm giving the orders for a change. Yeah, you heard. Uh, get your hands up uh, now on your feet and move to the rear of the aircraft, everybody. Ooh, Spalding, I don't uh, But Tintin, being T- Tintin... Yeah, has hidden himself in the bathroom. Smart. Yeah. Yeah, and is sneaking up behind Spalding. Yes. But then dumb millionaire... <laughs> 
points out, good for you, Tintin, get him. <laughs> yeah, like, that's oh, right. Even... So Spolian spins around. He's got two guns. He's a two-gun man, by the way. Yeah, two-gun two uh, justice. And, uh, no, brave try, my clever friend, but it didn't come off. Uh, now get with the others and uh, cut the funny business. I've got my eye on you. Man. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the co-pilot is supposed to be like, bravo, Spalding. Uh, ah, it's you, Hans. L- help me lock him up. So they're going to be locking him up and the millionaire's uh, sneezing and also fire Spalding. Yes. As is fair. <laughs> and it has a strange uh, stutter that comes and goes. Oh, does he? Well, he did that with uh, battleships. Oh, yeah. Now he's doing it with sacked. And maybe just be that he's going to sneeze. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's sack. what it is. Sa, 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 ch- yeah, you're sacked. I think that's what it is. And then uh, yes, so Spalding uh, gives away the uh, the fact that he cheats at uh, battleships. Oh, the captain is so upset. I forbid you. Silence. Stop them. Oh no. You know, and so everyone has to move now into the kitchenette. Mm-hmm. One false move, and understand, move. So there they are. They're all in the cooler. Says Hans. And a uh, millionaire is pounding on the door. Oh, he's furious, furious. Uh, open the door, Spalding. Otherwise, I'll... Uh, I'll uh, Spalding! Yep. And the captain, disappointed. Thinking yeah. this, this guy's a big fraud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems strange that he... Oh, well, whatever. And of course, uh, Calculus not really realizing what's going on. And I, I don't know why Tintin has a... It seems like Tintin is... You know, a few more seconds and I'd have, I'd have fixed him, he says. It's sort of weird that he's sort of living in the past. That doesn't seem very Tintin. Like. Yeah, but you saw it. You saw it. I tried. He, he just yeah. blew my cover. That's right. Yeah. I could have done it, but no. All right, back to uh, Hans saying, uh, now call up the control tower at uh, Makazar. Uh, pitch some yarn or another to keep them quiet. I like pitch some yarn. That's a good expression. Yeah. And uh, now back to the uh, millionaire. Spalding, Spalding, I, I didn't mean to be cross. Now come along, be a good boy, Spalding. Oh, I'll open up. Mm. He's that kind of guy. He's gone the begging route now? Yeah, he's gone. And so now the plane goes down. Uh, meanwhile, the ca- um, uh, captain, he's a uh, haddock, is uh, having uh, trouble with his ears. His ears are popping. Doesn't know what to do. And he's told to swallow. Swallows. His ears are fine. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I just want to point out that they use a different version of the uh, that... Alphabet, because it's golf, tango, fox, not foxtrot, which I just oh, okay. noticed. Anyway, and kids, by the way, now learn what to do when your ears are popping. Which is? Swallow. Swallow or chew gum. It's good too. Chew gum, yeah, that's good. Yawning also works. Yawning is helpful. Right. Or pitching a yawn. So uh, the plane has gone uh, down low and we see it uh, coming up on a boat, a uh, sailboat, and it uh, goes by tearing the sails. It goes so, so close. Now, uh, this person who's shaking his fist, do we know this person? No. Seems like we just, should. Just to cut away to a, to a victim of this these people's uh, horrible... Is he saying anything real? Yep. Yep. We're at the point in Tintin where characters actually said things. He's so, sorry. He said, uh, what... This, it's strange that he's yelling this out. He says, what bad manners? Can't you watch out for my sales? Crazy. That's fair. That's, I think it's a kind of a literal translation. Yeah. So I think if you were actually translating, you'd change it around a little bit. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, when I, when I read this uh, for the first time, I went like, clearly this is a character we've seen before, because it, it looks like no. designed like someone we've seen. Because we've never been in this part of the world before. Okay. Well, I guess we have, but not not in this part of the world. People really, people seem to tra- in your Indonesia. We right. haven't been in, in here. So uh, the the planes uh, are going to be uh, landing. Uh, People you know, from Indonesia traveled much less in those days than they would do now. Right. The tower is calling, and they've lost uh, lost contact with them. Uh, so you know that that's done the trick. Say the baddies. 
uh, and uh, you know they've changed course. Uh, the millionaire is complaining. Uh, Tintin asks, who do you think that's behind all this? A foreign power, undoubtedly. A rival company trying to steal my prototype. Or perhaps it's just a straight case of kidnapping to extort a big ransom, says Tintin. They won't get a penny. Not a penny. Yeah. So uh, they're about to land. Uh, You know, one of them saying, we're home and dry. Oh, don't count your chickens. Uh, And I like this expression. It isn't over by a long chalk. Yeah. Never heard that. Never heard that expression? Nope. I have. So it's time to land, but the problem is there is not a lot of runway. No. As we've seen from the title page, there is not a lot of runway. Yeah. And uh, they ask, so, actually tell us that as well. Yeah. Uh, saying like the, actually the odds are that they might not survive this. So uh, they're going down to land. They put down the landing gear. Uh, they put the parachute out. Uh, all the prisoners are uh, smacking their heads. Well, they're, they've got their uh, hands behind their heads, as you should, except for the captain. Who's uh, smacking his? Uh, this noodle. is a great. This is a great sequence, by it the is. way. It is. Yeah, you really get that sense of speed. Uh, you're going to put on, put on the brakes. They put on the brakes. The tire blows out, uh, skidding along. Uh, it's going too fast. They're yelling, "They're done for!" Uh, but then there is a net, and that net uh, stops them and saves them. The face, the facial design of the two pilot characters is really good too. Just that flat face kind of gives this added sense of I don't know something about it. This gives this sense of that they want to stop. That they. <laughs> You know what I mean? Their faces are sort of flat as if being pressed by the, sp- the speed that they're traveling at. Yeah. And then when you turn the page and then there's a net there and it grabs the, the ship. Yeah. Or they grabs l- the craft. They let the uh, prisoners out and a uh, millionaire is still firing people who we can't fire. <laughs> and uh, and Snowy is just flipping out. He's absolutely terrified. Poor little Snowy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Tintin is holding him, trying to comfort him, but uh, uh, drops him as he's leaving the plane and uh, off Snowy goes running uh, into the distance, into the jungle. Weird, strangely dog-like behavior from Snowy. Yeah. Especially after after the Castafiore Emerald, which he kind of return, re- returned a little bit to his older self. He's more chatty in that one. And he gets chatty near the end of the story, too, mm-hmm. where he's understanding everything that's going on. He's yeah. like, I guess I'm the only one. Well, even coming back to Rescue Tintin and stuff shows that kind of older Snowy, but this is very kind of weirdly out, yeah. of, out of character. Top part. of page 19, the drawing of Snowy running, I'm not a big fan of either. Nope. No, that's. There's a lot of close-ups in this in this book. I'm not. It is very <laughs> it is very close-uppy, and that doesn't feel like a yeah. a Tintin type thing. All right, so uh, Tintin has been grabbed uh, by some people on the island. He's uh, throwing some punches, trying to trying to get away, and then here's a voice, a familiar voice. It's Rasta Populus. Now, mm. the way they've broken the the name down in my panel here, uh, Tintin's hair actually splits the word. Yeah, yeah. It's a little strange. But yeah, there's a. There was a weird. Um, it doesn't do it in in the uh, doesn't do it in the French version. It's sort of it's sort of covered up by his hair, though, in a way. Mm-hmm. The O is partially covered up. But I mean, he's so well known that I think you can sort of fill in that it's an O. Uh, yes, Rastapopoulos appears, and yeah. wearing his pink cowboy outfit that made uh, Hergé think he was such a pathetic. Uh, piece of nothing instead of a real true villain it doesn't look bad to me but then everyone's dressed in kind of brighty colors it's fine uh and uh he's uh, saying to tindana oh, surprised to see me thought i was eaten uh, by the red sea sharks huh ha 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 now of course tintin and the gang they weren't part of this they were never supposed to be on this plane so yeah. this is just coincidence yes uh but he's enjoying uh taunting his yes. old foes of course right he's sort of the moriarty to uh tintin's uh Tintin's Sherlock Holmes. Right. Everyone calls him Sherlock Holmes. And we've yeah, had him dis- uh, described that way enough. <laughs> Go 
so uh, so uh, Rastapopoulos is really uh, uh, rubbing in uh, rubbing it into the millionaire. Millionaire saying, "Get rid of that cigar. No one smokes in my presence." And so he gets a big face full of smoke blown. Yeah, there you go. And uh, Tintin says, uh, you, "We knew you were a swine, Rastapopoulos, but now you know. Now we know you were a dirty swine at that." At which the captain goes, "Well said." I don't necessarily think that's you're. Yeah. A, oh, so you're a pig, but now we know you're a dirty pig. Yeah. Well, what was he a clean pig before? I don't know if that's the best insult in the world. Uh, so uh, he's threatening Tintin, saying he's going to crush you like like I crush an insignificant spider. And then we uh, cut down to his boot that's about to step on a spider that's uh, a little surprised. But uh, he can't crush the spider. Spider's too fast. Nope, spider's too fast. Although the spider looks kind of like a crab to me, but anyway. Yeah, it looks uh, crabby or scorpion-y. Yeah. Scorpion-y? Scorpion-y, yes. Yeah. The, <laughs> the exact word I was looking for. Yeah, so he's trying, he's trying, he's trying to stomp it, trying to stomp it. No dice. Uh, you're, anyway, this island will be your grave. <laughs> One of my favorite things that they do in... in, in that Hergé does is when he gets has a character is so frustrated, it's just a series of unrelated letters put together in a row. In this case, it's M D J R K, which is weird. Majerk. In the in the French version, it's F D J R K. Majerk. But they change it to they change it to M. Maybe the F seemed too close yeah, to an actual. Yeah, maybe it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. That's uh, that's, that's the thing. problem. So uh, so uh, he uh, turns to Alan. Oh, Alan's back. Yes. Uh, saying, get everything fixed right away, Alan. Okay, boss. And we see the uh, the help, the peop- the uh, assistants, I guess, are rolling the plane off of the off the uh, the runway, which is a temporary runway because they're picking it up and taking it apart. So oh, that's, that's neat. Here's yeah. one thing you got to go about Rastapopoulos. He's a job creator. Yeah. Look at all these working people. Here. Sure. Yeah. Good yeah. for him, at least on that. Maybe that's why in in the in the lake of sharks, that's why he creates a whole underground compound rather than just walk in a door of a place and take the take the stuff. <laughs> yeah. He's just a job creator. Yeah. He just wants people to be employed. He's not, a, he's not so bad a guy, sure, right? Sure, sure. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's, he's saying now to the millionaire, it's a bore, you know, to stop being a millionaire. When I went bust, I couldn't face the sweat of making another fortune for myself. So I decided to be easier and quicker to take yours. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Make your own fortune or just take someone else's. Why not? You've That's given right. me an idea. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you're mad. Well, no, just well-informed. That's all. I know, for example, that you have a deposit in a Swiss bank under a false name, of course. You always were a cheat, a quite fantastic sum of money. So you can swindle a swindler. This is the thing. That's the thing. That's right. You can't cheat an honest man, as W.C. Fields once said. Absolutely. In fact, entitled the movie that. Yeah, and then he went out with a lantern and looked for that honest man for the rest of his life. Did he? Nope, thinking of a different guy. <laughs> you are. So... You know, I know the name of the bank. I know where you hold the account. In fact, the only thing uh, I don't know is the number of the account. You're going to give it to me. Laughs. Ah, you're going to torture me. It won't work. It's like, nope, we got uh, we got drugs. We're going to use drugs. That's what we're going to use on you. Uh, and then uh, the millionaire sneezes his hat off. And uh, mean, here's how mean Alan is. Kicks the guy's hat away. Yeah. That's how mean he is. He is, is a jerk. <laughs> Just a bully. Yep. We're kind of we're kind of uh, glossing over the introduction of a new character. In, oh, please. Which is rare at this point in, in Hergé that he has new characters, one being Kratos and Spalding, and then also uh, Dr. Krollspell, the, uh, or Krollspell, I guess. Krollspell. Yeah, who is uh, Hergé imagined uh, to be a former Nazi, mm-hmm. uh, who, worked, say, worked in a concentration camp, and now he's uh, sort of, you know, disguised himself, found a different profession, and is still being nefarious. So we've got another German. We've got Hans, and then we've got this guy. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. 
Now, wasn't wasn't Rastapopoulos like a considered an anti-Semitic character once upon a time? Uh, not by he's it's been actually he's been accused of that, but it's he never meant him as a to be a Semitic character at all. He's supposed to be yeah, like a I understand guy. that, yeah. but I yeah. know that there was a little bit of like that thrown around. So it seems like. Uh, so is the I'm just wondering if the reason that by the way I'm working with Nazis now so you can tell that's not my situation mm, right like maybe. I'm uh, I'm not uh, I just think they made good villains by this point in our oh, pop culture Oh of course culture. what are you going to do yeah. 60s you got to pull out a Nazi absolutely yeah, yeah. makes sense So uh, or a guy that kicks a hat away also a bad guy <laughs> Yeah because Ellen's just like some English guy I, I imagine him just being a, a British guy who's just a jerk Yeah oh, soldier of fortune kind of jerk that's right uh, the captain's not having this give the poor chap his hat he a son of a sea gherkin you know, he could get sunstroke, you know, uh, sunstroke, eh? Uh, but what about you? You aren't wearing a hat either. Yeah, don't worry about me. Oh, but I am worried about you. Here, put, here's the hat on your head and, and puts his hat on. So he is high school bully yeah. jerk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're all, there's a lot of bad guys here, but they're all bad guys in their own special bad guy way, which is good at least. Kind of immature. Yeah. More than, more than anything else. Yeah, there's no bad guys here that you think like, I'd like to be like him. There's no glamorous yeah, Dr. No. no here that no. you're like thinking, oh, man, that's that's the life. That's right. Everyone here is a big schmo. I wish I could be Blofeld, only I have a terrible cat allergy. So, uh, yeah, now the cat... By the way, it seems like Hergé really enjoys pulling hats down over people's mm-hmm. heads. That's a common thing. Yeah. Yep. So it's stuck over the captain's uh, head because he's got his hands tied behind his back. Nothing he can do. Alan and Rastapopoulos, they're both having a good laugh at this. And uh, tells Alan, take them all to the cooler. Is that what we said earlier, too, about the cooler? The second time we've used the term cooler? What's nice, though, is that someone took the took a moment to straighten uh, Tintin's collar. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is the second time we've used uh, on page uh, 13. That's them in the cooler. Yep. Maybe uh, find a different word than cooler. Um, British translators. Sure. So uh, now they're being uh, walked along the beach, uh, and uh, Alan's giving instructions because uh, the captain can't see with the hat over his mm-hmm. head. You know, uh, we're going uphill, going single file. Uh, don't forget, Tintin, you're in charge of Bluebeard. Uh, we go up, we see a uh, toucan looking down a- a- at them, maybe hungry for some Fruit Loops. Uh, as they walk up through the jungle, and uh, Tintin yelling instructions, going right, going left, and uh, throws them off a bit, and the captain walks into a tree, uh, which Alan really enjoys. Man, Alan's a jerk. Yes. Oh, it's a big, big bellowing laugh at that. Ha, oh, ha, he's ha, just ha. a big jerk. So, uh, in fact, they, if I was translating this, I would translate that as ha 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 with a W, not just an H A. Now, I wonder in a situation like this where uh, you know the you see calculus. Does calculus know there's trouble at this point? When people have guns and everyone's been tied up, and we don't hear. He probably from, thinks they're in Sydney. <laughs> this is just how they do yeah. in Sydney. This yeah, is the, right. uh, an Australian be, hello. He's going to be complaining that he hasn't seen any kangaroos. Soon. Yeah, we're going to a barbecue. Yeah. So, okay. So they take him to a bunker, uh, locking him in there. I believe you mean a Barbie. Sure. Uh, and uh, Alan says, I'm not supposed to tell you yet, boss's orders, but I'd hate to, to keep a secret from old shipmates like you. Uh, you'll go back on board the airplane, which will then be towed out to sea and sunk with you inside, of course. <laughs> Shutting the door. Kalang. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's called a scorpion there by, uh, the, by the captain. Uh, Tintin tries to take off his hat using his teeth. Yes. Uh, and in doing so, uh, uh, Haddock falls back onto uh, Calculus's head, smashing his hat down onto his head. What's strange, though, is that no one then tries to take his hat off. No. It's just left on. <laughs> no. Like, the cruelty of it all. Like, why not take his hat off? Well, maybe Tintin's They're te- so te- tired te- of him. Hurt. They just don't want to see any more civ- civate or civat. 
demonstrations. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he does know Savante. And then the captain laughs in a, I don't know, I just don't like, there's a few drawings in here that I'm not fond of, and that's one of them. It's also weird that he's uh, laughing at Calculus having the uh, having the hat over his yeah, face. Yeah, when he was just laughed at by Ellen. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. kind of bully behavior. Yeah, to be a jerk, Captain. Yeah, and the whole thing about the Captain in this, he seems to be like, quit picking on that guy, or that guy needs help, I'm going to give him five bucks. You know, don't kick his hat away, you're being a jerk. Mm. And now it's like, he's being a jerk. Yeah. yeah. I don't quite get that. Anyway, so uh, Tintin hears something. And, uh, and meanwhile, Calculus is complaining about this whole situation. I don't, I don't blame him. Uh, and, and, Snow, like, and then Tindy gets worried about Snowy. Yeah, he thinks he uh, thought he could hear Snowy's barking. And uh, then we cut to uh, Rastapopoulos uh, sitting with a tied-up uh, millionaire and, uh, the, uh, the, I guess, the Nazi. Uh, Crow spell, yeah. Crow spell, who's uh, got a needle. And that's never a good thing. <laughs> I guess. And then he says... No, when is it, is it safe? Good, sorry, no, wait. Yeah. Is when it is safe? it good that a Nazi's got a needle? Yeah. When is that a good thing? Never. No. Right. I didn't say it was good, did I? I? You said something. Did I imply it was good? Yep. You said, uh, that's swell. I like it. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah, is it I'm safe? <laughs> so, uh... Crosswell says, now, don't get excited. And Kratos is terrified of needles, apparently. And then, uh, we don't see the needle puncture, but we hear the eek, and we see uh, Rastapopoulos say, do hurry, I hate to see people suffer, which is, of course, the opposite of the truth. Now, Crowspell finishes, and he, he has terrible teeth, by the way, Crowspell. And he says, I've finished, you can question him now. And then uh, Kratos, who's quite angry, then lapses into a sort of a, a stupor, and says, Kratos, uh, are you going to be a little more cooperative? And he says, oh, yes, certainly. Now, listen carefully, I've already told you, I have the name of your Swiss bank account. The one where you've deposited more than $10 million with the help of your faithful secretary, Spalding. I discovered the name you use when writing to the bank, thanks to Spalding. I also have some excellent specimens of your false signature. But he failed in one respect. You always manage to hide the actual number of your account. And that's the number you're going to give me now, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes. And then, uh, of course, Kratos says, I've had on my mind for such a long time, I'll tell you a, a, a chew. Bless you. And Crowsbell, who likes to laugh, he, 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 laughs. And then... Creative confesses the number 12, 9, 19, 10. Yes, that's it. 12, 9, 19, 10. That's your number at the bank. You're sure? At the bank? No, no, no. At the greengrocer. Outside that shop among the fruits and vegetables on the 12th of September, 1910, I stole for the first time a pear. I was four years old. It's as clear as, this, as if it were yesterday. Now, this is a weird part of the story where the translators, rather than having him steal the fruit in 1903, move it ahead to 1910. I don't know why. Like, why would you do that? Is it a huge age difference? You know, does it make less sense, more sense? They're published the same year, so they're just advancing him. Yeah, I don't know. Is it's it because it was before World War One, and then once during World War One? No, nineteen ten is still before World War One. Oh, that's right. Okay, weird. When was World War One start? When did it start? Nineteen sixteen, nineteen fifteen, I think. Nineteen fifteen, nineteen sixteen, somewhere around there. All right. So uh, yeah, he just keeps telling him everything in his life. Uh, except what he what he wants, he gives him even more uh, more of the truth serum, and uh, get more numbers. Uh, but uh, you know, he gets like uh, two, seventeen, six. You know, uh, that was it. The exact amount I sneaked in uh, one morning, some years later, from my elder sister's handbag. And then blame the maid who got fired. Yeah, so he's a what real a jerk. Dude. We're learning uh, the history. Yeah. This guy is not Citizen Kane. Yeah. He's uh he's been a crook since uh since the get go. But he even he even he for the guy who doesn't laugh. He says I nearly died of laughing when the maid got thrown out into the street. 
wait, this is a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. It was like, what makes him laugh? Cruel things. Yeah. So has nothing cruel happened in the last four years? I guess he's been That's, been in such a bubble. Yeah, that he hasn't... Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird. It's a weird one, and that he's smiling now. That's the other thing. It's like maybe well, this... he's drugged now, no, so under... he can't. No, I completely understand that. But if the if your angle is he never laughs, and now he's like super happy, telling yeah. all this story of all the horrible things he did. He's loving telling all these horrible things. You know, I don't know. It just seems like maybe at the end of that he'll there's something. You know, yeah. I mean, he's been on this journey something like. But anyway, uh, Rastapopoulos is not getting the stuff he he needs, and is so furious. And then uh, millionaire goes to sleep, falls asleep. And we're back to the prisoners in the cooler. Yes. Yeah. In the bunker. Right. Which has also been referred to as the cooler. So I think uh, I'm also right in saying the cooler. No, uh, no, I know. I'm just saying it's actually a, a World War II era bunker. Very good. So uh, the captain's saying, if I get out of this mess alive, I swear I'll never touch whiskey again. <laughs> again, if whiskey got you into this mess... Then I could see how... No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. If whiskey got you into this yeah. mess, I'll never touch whiskey again. No, you'll never fly again. Mm. I'll never travel to another part of the world again. I'll yeah. never leave Marlinspike. That makes sense. I'll never yeah. go on an adventure again. Uh, but not whiskey, we've had no whiskey so far. He's just, he's just in the bargaining stage. I understand. But the only way that joke makes sense... Uh, no, no, his favorite thing is whiskey. Right, but we So have, he's willing to give it up to get out of the situation. Which is fine if we have mentioned whiskey, aside from going, I'd like a drink, and, and Tintin going, sure. We know his character, uh, though. That's the thing. You've got to know his character from previous yeah, yeah. adventures for this to pay off. Mm -hmm. And to me, that joke doesn't pay off. Okay. So uh, so anyway, he's uh, talking to, I guess, God and uh, lying to God. Yes. <laughs> and then again, uh, Tintin hears something, uh, saying, quiet, listen. I didn't say anything. And it's snowy. Yay. He's alive. And he's hugging, so happy, too. Hugging Tintin. And, and licking him. Licking him in a weird position. That's strange. Well, uh, Tintin's hands are tied, so he can really just... No, I understand. They can only, only hug that way. He's almost like a puppet. Like, he looks like a guy who's has got uh, a yes. snowy That's puppet. exactly what happened, is that the real snowy passed away <laughs> in between the Castafiore Emerald and, <laughs> and this book, and so they had to have a puppet <laughs> replace it. That's why he looks so, so weird in that sequence so when he's running dark. away. No, let's not even fictionally say that happened. No, ten, Snowy's fine. Uh, and so uh, the guards think they hear a dog. They're not sure. Uh, Snowy bites through, uh, chews through uh, uh, Tintin's ropes as he does. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, wonderful. Three cheers for Snowy, uh, yells the captain. Hip, hip. Oh, <laughs> man. What is he thinking? Oh, of? you're the dumbest guy I've ever met. So uh, Even Scoot is surprised. Like, what are you <laughs> That's right. Uh, the uh, and the, the guards come in and like which man cried and they're all okay faking that they put their hands behind their back. Yeah, you know, uh, and uh, and Tintin thinks let's hope Snowy understands what to do, and uh, and uh, Calculus has still got his hat over his head. <laughs> and then Snowy attacks the guard from behind, uh, distracting the other guard. That's the time now for uh, Tintin, who has free hands, to go and uh, give an old uh, punch to the face. Yeah, a little, a little off-panel off action. Panel. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, I do like him in the doorway, though. I like because that gives a sense. But I just wish that there was a little bit more. Yeah, that action almost looks like view. one of those situations where we can't show any real violence. Mm -hmm. So we'll just have it a little over there. You'll, you you'll figure it out. You think that, but then there's lots of gunplay later on. But but maybe gunplay was more acceptable than. Like missing someone and shooting at someone and missing them was more acceptable than showing someone getting punched. Maybe it's like, you know, kids will punch each other in the face, but yeah. they will not shoot each other back in those days. Yeah. 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, I like that they're giving commentary, you know, fine left hook. And again, bravo, fine right uppercut for the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, easier easier than drawing the action, I guess. I guess so. How characters see, commenting. But I, I guess uh, to me as a kid, when I would draw this kind of thing, I like drawing people fighting, so mm -hmm. I would like to just draw that fight. And we have had no limit of, of Tintin punching people Yeah, though Tintin's, in other stories. Tintin's signature move is, of course, the head to the belly. Yeah. Uh, so, um... Although that kind of disappeared after the 30s. Oh, okay. If you think back through stories, it does kind of disappear. Fair enough. Uh, and, uh, Tintin now is, uh, figuring how they could, uh, find Millionaire again. And it's using his hat, because uh, that's on the ground, so they, uh, they get Snowy to smell it and, uh, to seek him out. But then we're going to cut back to, uh, the interrogation. Yeah. And I'll throw it back at you. Okay. So, Rastopopolis, of course, is furious that this is not working oh. after he's hired this doctor to come and apply a truth serum that's he's, going to... He's got that horse uh, th thing he hit horses with. Yes, a riding crop. Riding that crop, he's, there you are. from his days as a director. We remember back to those days. <gasps> that's right. Yes, he was once a director, so of course he'd be happy to carry around a riding crop, you know, as a sort of subpar Eric von Stroheim. You know what? As, a, as an old director, I don't mind him wearing a pink shirt. That oh, makes sense. Okay. Okay. All right. No business like showbiz. Sure. Uh, wait, did I... Oh, sorry. So uh, we just have a very brief cutback. Then we cut back again to the bunker. Yeah, we're cooler, gonna be, we're gonna prefer. be doing this again uh two pages from now. Yeah, just, just the, quick cuts. You quick cut back to how the interrogation's going. Yeah. So we come back, we find that uh uh that Snowy, who is given the hat to smell as way to find Kratos, actually ends up uh hopping up onto the captain and uh of course Tinin says, Well you were wearing this hat, Captain, that's why Snowy made the mistake. Mm. So Anyway, thanks to Snowy, at least we're free and can look for Mr. Kratos. So then they're all going to be going. So meanwhile, Calculus, of course, has bring it, brought out his little uh, pendulum, which is swinging madly, and uh, is trying to figure out who knows what Calculus is doing at this point in the story. Really, his character has gone into some sort of strange <laughs> netherworld that we don't quite understand his, his motives anymore. All it's, we know is he's got his magic pendulum. He's got a magic pendulum and is really good at boxing. <laughs> we didn't expect that out of his character. But so they've got the guns. And then Ready Professor and Calculus says, Extraordinary, I've never seen this before. And so Tintin, of course, says, You must hurry, there's no time. So you've noticed it too. I've never seen my pendulum oscillate so fast, never in my life. And yes, the pendulum is oscillating wildly. Right. And Twitch Tintin doesn't care. No. Like, there's a bit there's a bit of that that bothers me too. It's like I can see the captain going, Eh, this is nonsense, who cares? Yeah. But if, if Tintin saw this pendulum that's hanging that's all of a sudden wildly yeah. going crazy, mm -hmm. maybe he'd be, Oh, uh, there's magnetics, there's something, something's going on. Well, or that, or that the ca calculus is swinging at himself, which is what happens with actual pendulums. Oh, I can see, but, if it's, divining. but if it's going wildly, you have to be moving your hands a little bit. Like when you're doing mild divining, yeah, it's Well, you can. Like, a little bit of a shake can make it start, and then just keeping that little bit of shake can make but it Tintin increase. But Tintin is the most open-minded, I think, of everybody. Everyone else is in their own little world yeah. and their own headspace. But I think it's it's weird when Tintin just like isn't paying attention at all to, to well, that. Like I get it's okay, for the plot. There's, there's a time and a place, though, as well. They right. are in a trapped inside a bunker. True. They need to get out of there before people come. Right. So talking about a pendulum swinging at this point is not really. Haven't they seen the pendulum work in the past? Has that not occurred? No. Okay. No. All right. I mean, it was correct, but no one's seen it work. I mean, okay. who used it? The the Thompson twins or Thompson? Yeah. Uh, Thompsons used it in in the uh, Prisoners of the Sun. But used it to find the treasure in Marlin's bike, no. didn't he? No, that was uh, Tintin and, and Haddock were looking at the found the statue, and then Tintin oh, realized okay. what the eagle meant because yeah, that was right. uh, Saint John of Patmos, and then they pressed on the 
on the fake island Folks, on the globe. this is the first time I've been wrong on this podcast, so let's just all forget about it and move along. <laughs> a few minutes later. <laughs> a few minutes later, they're walking through the jungle. No, I really like the poses and stuff in this section of the, of the story. I love how Tintin's holding the gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, the captain, of course, then he falls down, he disappears and discovers that he's fallen down up in, the, in a tree. I don't know why he stepped so close to the tree trunk, but he fell down into some sort of a uh, hole, which he, want, he wants to investigate, but Tintin says... He can feel something is weird too, but he doesn't. But he doesn't feel like they have time because they want to. He wants to find Kratos. Mm-hmm. They start sneaking down. They find the. They come down on the shore. They see that they're dismantling the the runway, and uh, Tintin says, "Rasopolis wasn't exaggerating. The safety net's gone, and the runway has almost disappeared." I must admit, the operation was organized down to the last detail. And then the, the plane is even the plane has disappeared. It's been camouflaged in some way, so now they're heading down, following Snowy, looking for for Mr. Kratos, and, and we cut. Rastapopoulos and Krollspell looking at a slowly awakening Kratos and we imagine Krollspell is breathing a, a, a sigh of relief and then we find the bunker where, where Rastapopoulos and Krollspell and Kratos are holed up and we see some uh, some of the locals who are now we, we learn later that these are Sondonesian gorillas who have been tricked by, by um, Rastapopoulos into acting uh, you know, in acting in his, for his interests, and now in the story, uh, the characters are speaking. I know, I know that I don't know exactly what they're saying, but I do know that they're talking about a chase, uh, tasty chili dish. So, uh-huh. some sort of an an Indonesian uh, nice delicacy. Very good. It's too bad they're not eating it. Maybe they could give a little snack mm-hmm. to Tintin. Yeah. And the, yeah, they haven't eaten for a while. That's true. I don't think they ate on the plant. I don't think they had. They just had some sani cola. Oh, they need some food. They killed the plant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Everyone else had had that yeah, cola, didn't they? They're fine. So Tintin gets the drop on them. Yeah. Well, yes, they're sitting. They're talking about food, so they're not paying attention to anything. Yeah, but I like that. I like that. You know, the guards actually have a little bit of a life of mm-hmm. their own, and yeah. it's fine. Yeah. That's why you shouldn't just shoot them randomly, no. as you would in uh, other, uh, say, an American movie. Yeah. Just go yeah. up and shoot them all. It's like no, they want to go home and have some chili. Yeah, that's right. And uh, some bread and uh, talk to their kids. Anyway. So uh, the captain disarms them and ties them up, bragging a little bit that being a, a you know, sailor, he knows his way around knots. Mm-hmm. So good for him. Yes. Uh, then we hear, uh, you know, uh, a furious... Well, uh, wait a second. Yeah, we are hearing uh, a furious uh, Rastapopoulos uh, still interrogating. Uh, and uh, and the millionaire is uh, going on again about, you know, how uh, how terrible he is. Yeah. Saying, like, I'm a little reptile. That's what I am. It can't be said uh, too often. There's no excuse either. I think of all the good examples I had when I was a boy. My grandfather, for instance. Think of my grandfather. And it's like, oh! And so Rastapopoulos is so furious that he beats the Nazi with the crop. Yes. It's good. It's all your fault, charlatan. You'll pay for this. And then we get a big yow from outside. Once again, violence off screen. Yeah, but what what the yow was wasn't him hitting the Nazi. No. It was the uh, Nazi uh, jabbing him uh, with the needle. Accidentally. Maybe accidentally, but also maybe self-defense. And uh, and and so now we're having uh, we're going to have a jerk uh, contest. <laughs> you almost said something. I know I did, which is why I stopped. Now you could actually follow up on that, <laughs> no, or we to. could keep going. I just enjoyed it. That's right. Listen, <laughs> I saw the baby fall 
I caught the baby. Yes. Let's not talk about what happened. <laughs> Let's not talk about the fact that you were drunk and had put the baby on the ledge of the apartment building. So now these two villains are going on about who's the worst person. Yes. And so it's like, oh, yeah, I'm bad. I'm the devil incarnate. That's what I am. I beg your pardon. I'm the devil incarnate. Mm. And so, you know, uh, just back and forth, back and forth. Uh, who's the worst? Which is nice. I do like this bit of business. Yeah, I like, yeah it's fine. I like two villains, you know, who both know they're terrible. Yeah. And uh, that's great. It's stupid. The drawings are so terrible. Yeah, they're not They're not the best. No. They look uh, They look a little bit like an editorial cartoon. Yeah, the, especially, the, especially the drawing of... Uh, the close-up of Rasopopoulos? Well, that one's not good. But then the bottom uh, middle one uh, on the page, on page 31 of him, it's just, he, he just looks like he's in a different thing. Yeah. He looks like he's in a Looney Tunes cartoon. And he should be yelling at Bugs Bunny. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, Tintin and uh, the captain have had enough of hearing this. Uh, they're uh, they're going to go uh, in through this uh, door, metal door. But it opens fast, uh, knocking uh, Tintin in the face. Uh, yeah. Nazi comes out. Uh, they, uh, they get his hands up. And uh, go in, and uh, now it's it's back to uh, Tintin with the gun on the the two uh, baddies. But don't uh, for, oh, let me ahead, just say before I just want to because there's a key plot point that we've kind of ran over there, which is that sure. that was he was going to uh, Rastapopoulos confesses that he was had promised forty thousand dollars to Crowspell for helping him to get this information from Kratos when actually he just intended to kill him rather than pay him. So he reveals that. So Krollspell has no allegiance to to uh, Rastapopoulos at this point. Yeah, you know that guy. He he just he teams up with the wrong people all the time. Mm-hmm. This guy, the Nazis, awful, bad choices all the way around. Yeah. Uh. So uh. So Rastapopoulos is trying to get Tintin to speak up for him. Uh. You know, uh, you're an old friend. You've known each other for years. Isn't it true? I'm the Devil Incarnate. You tell him, won't you? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. And anyway, I want my hat. <laughs> Right, he's still yeah. upset about the missing hat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Rastapopoulos starts crying, saying that nobody loves him. <laughs> and uh, and and the captain pulls out some sticking plaster and uh, tapes over their mouths. Yeah, yeah. Both both Crowspell and and Rastapopoulos. Kratos is still allowed to speak for a while. He says, "Well, we must go, Mister Kratos. It isn't safe here. Silence, bellhop. No one speaks when Laszlo Kratos is talking." Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we go down to the beach where Thompson is. Or Ellen, I should Ellen. say Ellen, because uh, the Thompson kind of got, yeah, yeah. got dropped. Uh, Ellen is standing, and he says, uh, what's, what's the boss doing up there? Better go up and take a look. So we know that Tintin is, has limited time here. So meanwhile, Kratos is busy yelling up, yelling at, uh, sorry, yelling up, yelling at Rastapopoulos, and then begins yelling at Tintin. And so he ends up with sticking plaster all over his mouth as well. And I like that... Uh that the Captain Haddock ends up a little bit on his finger, which is little, a nice little, little callback. Call yeah, yeah, it's that good. to me, if that's a good joke, because you know, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it still works. Yeah, it's still a good joke. Yeah. So uh, taking them out and walking through the jungle, and they run into Alan. Yeah, I love love that panel of bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Thompson or Alan coming around the corner, seeing Tintin uh, from behind, and Tintin fires at Tintin, Tintin. And what's really great about this way the panels laid out here is on the page thirty four is Thompson fires at Tintin, who leaps aside, and the bullet's trajectory carries through into the next panel and go- goes over top of the captain's head. Yeah, I just like nice. how that's laid out. It's well done. Then yeah. we have a good shot of t- of, of Alan running away as, t- as the captain fires madly at him. And then uh, Tintin says, stop, captain, don't waste your am- ammunition. I think we're going to need it soon. And then uh, they proceed onwards with their prisoners. 
And then uh, the drugs wear off. Yes, that's right. Rastopopoulos is thinking, what's going on? Where am I? What happened? Uh, what am I doing? Bound and gagged. Oh, yeah, I've been taken prisoner. And so he fakes passing out. Yes. He thinks he can delay them. But uh, Haddock is too much for that. He goes to a, a tree that has some prickles on it, takes, takes a thorn off the tree, and then proceeds to uh, use it to test whether Rastopopoulos is actually That's asleep. That's right. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yes. Rastopopoulos says a lot of ends and gets up, and they carry on. Only they come upon a monitor that distracts them, and Rastopopoulos runs away. That's a really nice drawing of that animal. Yeah, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, nice monitor. And then uh, the captain goes running after after Rastopopoulos, only he ends up <laughs> getting trapped between a tree and a rock by his rifle that's on his back that uh, gives him a bit of a, a sore chest. Yeah, it kind, takes, of, a snow, away his breath, kind of a snowy move. It's the kind of thing that snowy would do mm. with a giant bone. With a giant, with a, yeah, or an umbrella in a, yep. a villa in Switzerland. And then, uh, yeah, knocks the captain's breath, or I guess what, takes his breath away. I guess yep. that's the word. That's the expression I'm trying to find. Uh, Rastopopoulos is, uh, is uh, running, saying, about 10 yards uh, at the most for idiots, thinking, because Tintin was saying, uh, no use chasing after him. He must be miles away by now, but he's not, it's just 10 yards. Uh, captain uh, goes to grab his gun, which is uh, wrecked. Yeah. Uh, throws it away and hits uh, Rastopopoulos in the head with it, without knowing so. Yeah, very good. That's the first of uh, the the injuries that Rastopopoulos will slowly receive through the story in the the stream of humiliation that Hergé has prepared for him. Good, he deserves it. He's mm-hmm. been a, he's been a real uh, bit of business for many many comics now. Sure. So. All right, so. Uh, uh, we, uh, we see, uh, now who's saying, oh yeah, we see Alan, uh, saying quiet, shh, he's got some goons with him, yeah. saying they can't be far, uh, he sees Rastopopoulos running, uh, with mouth covered, uh, arms, uh, bound, uh, yells, hey boss, which, uh, gets him to turn and run into a tree, uh, knocking his boot clean off. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, uh, it's a good little stick there. It's good. Would not be out of place in Asterix, that kind of extreme mm-hmm. boot flying off hitting a tree stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tintin is uh, is uh, walking uh, the millionaire and the Nazi and uh, with, uh, with, uh, with a gun sa- and the captain saying, I'm not too happy about uh, Crow's spell. I think you trust him too far. Uh, I agree, says Tintin. It's risky. But he knows now that his uh, worthy employer had him uh, booked for a sticky end. So uh, the doctor's as keen as we are to keep out of his clutches. That's true. Then we hear a big yeek. Uh, horrible ah! screams. And we see that that is Alan pulling the sticking plaster off the face of Rastopopoulos. Another not very good drawing. No, it does look painful though. It is. It's good. Too I like clo- too like, close up. I like. Yeah, it's just it's not it's not Hergé to be that close all the time. Like Hergé likes a, a sort of a mid distance shot at the best of times. And there's a lot of close ups in this that just aren't his thing. I mean, he's been using close ups more commonly in stories as we've moved along. He's going for these sort of cinematic. Uh, you know, close-ups and and dis- you know shots to kind of establish distance, and then have close-ups for emotion. But I don't know. I just feel like there's too much of it in this, and this, and that shot is particularly his characters don't too much. Look, don't look fantastic in close-up. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're they're at the right distance for the type of eyes they've got to make sense. Yeah, you get that too close, and then you got to put extra pupils in them, and it makes things weird. Yeah. So the chase is on. Uh, Alan and the gang uh, hunting uh, hunting after uh, Tintin. Uh, they're hiding behind Alan and the goons are hiding behind rocks saying there, careful, don't make any noise uh, but uh, Snowy uh, is starting to bark uh, Tintin then spots them and see them now uh, it's a gunfight behind some rocks 
Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. You know, uh, burst on the left, another on the right, and now beat it, says Tintin, fast while they think I'm still here. And and then all of a sudden something strange happens, and this is where the story takes a bit of a turn. Yeah. Uh, I'll t- say a turn. Yeah, Tintin says, I feel like someone's speaking right inside my head. Higher up, to the left, under a big flat rock. Yes, yes, I'll do as you say. He's getting a, kind of a Joan of Arc moment mm. right now. Yeah. Has uh, Tintin got something terribly wrong with him or not? We'll see. Uh, so uh, he gives uh, the captain the gun. Uh, captain saying, it's my turn to cover you. But nope, nope, Tintin's not going to give him the gun. Come with me. I know where we'll be safe. Uh, there's a, a big flat rock higher up, very close. This way, quick. And in fact, that is the case. And so they hide behind some bushes uh, and uh, put the doctor in there. And uh, say, be careful, it should be about 10 steps. And Cap's like, how do you, how do you know all this? Yeah. And just like, oh, no, you're right. Uh, some bats burst out. Yeah. The captain doesn't like that. Yeah. Tintin's saying they're, very, they're quite harmless. They won't eat you. And that's true and not. Sometimes bats can carry rabies, so maybe they're not the most harmless thing in the world. Uh, Cap does not want to go into the bat cave, uh, but bullets are flying outside. Yeah, that's so right. He's being shot at. So. Captain goes into the bat cave. He, yes, head first. He dives headlong into the cave. Yeah, Alan's saying now, oh, too clever by half. By half, they're cornered. Uh, come on out, Tintin, you're, you're cornered. Uh, I might get, get impatient and toss a grenade in after you. All right, if that's how you want it. And we have a nice shot of uh, Tintin down below looking up some stairs. Yes. Uh, Tintin, uh, sorry, uh, Alan gets out the grenade. Yeah, he's going to throw it. Yeah. Uh, one, two, three. Wait a second, I'm crazy. What am I doing? The boss said he wanted uh, Karatis and the doctor alive. Uh, talking to himself. This is the kind of thing where you're going to blow up. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, no, you have the pin. You're holding the pin down. Oh, that's good. Well, the, 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 I shouldn't say the pin. You're holding the lever down, right? Like that's true. Okay. Grenade has the, 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 doesn't start to, the fuse doesn't start until you lift your hand off of the handle. That's true. Okay. So he throws the, he throws the grenade away uh, and uh, it explodes. And uh, actually, unfortunately, he threw it uh, pretty close to Rastopopoulos, shredding his clothes. He's very, very unhappy now. Yeah, it's just, it's a terrible, terrible day for him. Uh, now it's time for them all to enter the cave. Uh, but uh, but one of the goons is like, stop, uh, Brenty, Brenty La, you know, and then uh, I'm not sure what he's saying here. Yeah, well, what's weird is that the Brenty means stop. So he's just saying okay. stop in English, then he says stop in Indonesian. And then uh, the other thing that they say is, uh, he says these, or sorry, there on that coral, look at the carvings of flying gods on fiery vehicles. And the other guy says, that's correct. And what, what the Saja means, it means like just or only, but I don't know what, how that would be used. If, mm. it's, if it's a form of agreement, I, I'm not too sure, but, or just a placeholder that someone put in there. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they're saying. So they're talking about the fact that they're saying, look, just like Eric von Daniken wrote, chariots of the gods. I mean, chariots of the gods? <laughs> Still making me laugh every time you say that. <laughs> That's why I said it. Yeah, they come from the sky and fire lorries. And if we go in, they punish us. Proper, proper, master. Huh. Yeah. Ah, isn't having any of this. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah, what are you babbling about? What's this nonsense? Are you disobeying my orders? You'll pay dearly for the, your cowardice, you dogs. There's no boss. We must keep calm. We need them. And remember how frightened they were last night when we saw that strange light in the sky. Let me handle this. So here we go. That's a kind of a, a cue to something else happening. That's right. So Ellen talks to them and convinces them that that uh, tells them, listen, you guys go back down to the beach. You guard down there. We'll take care of this. So they run off. He needs them to bring back some stuff for him. And, they agree and to some that. of that delicious chili you were talking about earlier. That's right. <laughs> that chicken and chili. Sounds good. So they, they head off. And then we have a cut. He's, 
we have a, a cut to uh, Ellen talking to Captain Haddock, who he calls Captain Grog Blossom. <laughs> you and Wonder Boy, if you don't come out of that rat hole quietly with your hands in the air, you'll be carried out feet first. And then we have a cut down into the cave. And we see the first of the these kind of weird uh, statues that are on this island. Yeah. And... None of the characters are in in the shot. So where are they? Yeah, that's what a cliffhanger. Another, that's another alternate title for for the story is Captain Grog Blossom and Wonder Boy. That is a great title, and uh, this is the first sign of of these statues that were based on actual statues that were that are found in Indonesia. They're based on sea gods that, oh, that okay. were there, which uh, Erge found in National Geographic magazine. But they also tie into the Robert Caruso books, where he likened these to being like images of astronauts that, you know, had come and helped these people make images of astronauts. That was the big thing that they did. Like the, the statues in Easter Island or images of astronauts that the astronauts helped the, the Eastern Islanders make. Right. Of course, that's what they did. They flew thousands of light yeah. years, you know, and did with this, this you know, un, almost unimaginable technology right. to come down here so that we can make statues of yeah. them and even helped us make them. That's how they made selfies back that's then. That's version of selfies. That's their Facebook is Easter Island. Easter Did Island you know faces. that? That's yeah. what it is. I just didn't know that. Yeah, if you read underneath, it tells you the, the relationship yeah, status right. and all yeah. things. A lot of it's complicated. It's a lot of cat pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. That's why Those have all faded over time. That's why there's so many cat images in the pyramids. That's right. That's the whole cat part of Egyptian if culture. If you walk by one of those, uh, you'll oh, feel like you're getting poked. It's so clear to me now. All of it. Yeah, giant Facebook. That's what it was. Yeah. So <laughs> Alan and, uh, and Rastopopoulos yeah. are, uh, are talking and they hear something. Look up and see it's a proboscis monkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, Alan has a laugh. Yeah. And what a ridiculous nose that guy! But it reminds slowly, him of someone. Slowly turns and Erastapopola. Oh boy, <laughs> that's a great panel, yeah. though. That is that is good. Yeah. I do like that. So meanwhile, works for me. Meanwhile, yes, on the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one of the chaps coming back. One of the with a, with his Sandinisians. Sandinisians. Yes, uh, saying a big man wants you to make uh, you go chop chop. What's the matter? Uh, it should have been finished hours ago. And the plane at the bottom of the sea, uh, we shall end up being spotted here. Uh, here's the news bulletin. Then the news bulletin comes on the radio. Uh, there's still no trace of the aircraft owned by millionaire Laszlo Karadias, which has, uh, dis- which disappeared between, uh, what, how I'm pronouncing it? I just, well, I love that you keep changing it so it's different every time. I can't. That uh, makes it best of it's all. It's really hard. Uh, Makassar, I'm enjoying reading these stories. <laughs> sure. But I'm really hating saying these names out loud. Well, yeah, because when you read them, this is like I said, when you read a Russian novel, you just, when you hit the name, you oh. just. You just kind of gloss over it. That's right. You that's recognize right. the letters, so you know who they're talking about, but there's no need to say the name. That's why Shakespeare's Hamlet is the most popular of his stories, because it's really easy to pronounce that name. Hamlet. Uh, yeah. Hamlet. What about Macbeth? Is that hard to say? Yep. Yep. Because it'd be Mac, 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 oh, Mac. Okay. Hamlet. Simple. Two it's syllables. Hamlet. Done. Yeah. Moving on. Here's the bulletin. There's no trace of the aircraft owned by millionaire Laszlo Caradice, which <laughs> disappeared between uh, Macazar and Darwin. Uh, the search, which has been called off at nightfall, will be re- resumed at dawn. Okay. Darwin so, is Darwin on is on Australia, right? It's a that is a good town, question. Town in Australia, I believe. It would make sense, uh, being as where we are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the co-pilot is uh, saying, "Good, that gives us a few hours respite." Uh, come on, boys. Uh, what's that, Spalding? Not me. I'm not uh, crawling about in the jungle. That'll do, Spalding. Move. <laughs> Everyone bosses around Spalding. Yes, poor Spalding. He thought this was was his way to get one over on his boss, and mm-hmm. still it's turned 
turn around to bite him. Yeah. So uh, our heroes are wandering uh, through uh, through these uh, statues with, of course, our, our Nazi, who is not our hero, and the millionaire. Caradaraiaris. Mm. Uh, uh, Captain saying, look here, Tintin. Uh, that's when, almost as funny as Chariots of the Gods. When are you going to... No, that's gold. When are you going to explain uh, where the blue blistering blazes are you taking us? I told you, Captain, I have the remotest idea. Someone seems to be guiding me. I'm just obeying orders. You know about that, huh, Natsy? Uh, that's, that's all I can say. Yeah. So uh, then they walk up to one of the uh, giant heads, and uh, and uh, Tintin, uh, with with this knowledge he's got in his head, yeah. pokes one of the eyes. It, it, it rotates backwards, revealing an entrance. What's cool is that uh, Erge had a plaster model of this made, so he actually had like a model of the head, so it, and it pivoted back. Oh, neat! Yeah, it's cool. It is very, it is very cool. Yeah, it's neat. Uh, Tintin is very, even though he knows about this, he's very surprised. Mm. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, we must uh, go on in there, says the captain. But uh, I'll come last, Captain. Uh, you go. I can lower the statue into place. So they do, uh, leaving the hat behind, and the statue goes down that onto is a, the brim a of the hat. Careless moment. Careless moment. Careless hat moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, once inside, uh, Tintin says he's bolted it behind us, as I was told to do. I think we'll be safe now. Yeah. Have I, uh, understood the instructions? What did you call my voices? <laughs> okay. Oh, we got a Joan of Arc reference here. Uh, voices here, voices here. I suppose you think you're Joan of Arc, eh? I've had enough of this tomfoolery. Thundering typhoons, the joke's older, over. Uh, tell me how you knew this place existed. It's just, he's just not digging it. Uh, then he, uh, there's a startled look. And all of a sudden, he's getting things in his head now, too. It's interesting that Joan of Arc reference isn't in, isn't in the French Tintin. What is the reference? Uh, I'm, How do they get around that uh, sentence? Uh, it says, I'm full of, I'm, it says that like, I'm full up the back of these calambredans. So whatever, whenever it's made up complicated words, or not made up, right. but complicated words that I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, it seems, it, it just doesn't say anything about Joan of Arc in there. It's just a lot of stuff of, you know, tell me how you know the existence of this temple, you know, it's just yeah, it's interesting. It's just it's it has no reference to Joan of Arc there, so right. But then that that panel is followed by the most off panel or off model drawing of uh, of Haddock yet. Now that is just which which panel is this for the uh, the third one along the top. Third one, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, but but then he's uh, yeah he's he's reacting saying oh I shouldn't be loud. What voice in my head? What? So he's hearing it now too. Mm-hmm. And then they hear some footsteps. Uh, they go uh, chasing after the footsteps and see that it's Calculus, who's uh, following his pendulum and uh, saying, oh, you still don't believe me, huh? You're skeptical? Uh, no, no, Professor, but, oh, well, it's perfectly simple. You can ask that gentleman over there. And then uh, Calculus points at Phil Silvers, who's, uh, who's there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cracking myself up. Uh <laughs> So yeah, there's a fella, basically looks like Phil Silvers, yeah. who's got uh, glasses, and then he's got a little uh, antenna coming out of... Uh, to, to be fair, he's actually uh, pretty much spot-on caricature of, of Jacques Bergier, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Who's uh, a real person, yeah. All right. Uh, who's got... Uh, he's got a little, uh, little ball on the side of his uh, glasses, and then an antenna coming out. Yep. And he's been using this uh, for telepathy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, either at this point, the story is grabbing you, or... or it is... Uh, it's It's... It's got butter on its hands, and it has lost you. Yeah, that's me. When I read this as a kid, I just at this point, I was, and I wasn't because I was not really that interested in 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 uh, aliens in that way, like or and I didn't believe in telepathy and stuff. So I didn't. It just seemed like you know I was just kind of like ugh. Yeah. 
This is I felt silly. that way about the magic in earlier stories. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, so he's explaining, uh, you know, that that you know this is otherworldly technology. They ask, "Are you an alien?" No, no. Uh, and it's uh, and what an annoying accent he's given in the English translation. Yes. In the French version, he just has kind of a purr. He just kind of trolls his R's a little bit. Yeah. And his name is different too. In in the uh, French version, he's Mick Esdanatov, which is just like a regular kind of name. It's not like a silly name like Can Rocketoff. You know, I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of problems. Um, Translators, oh, you've let me down. We're going to call him Mick. So is he Russian? Is this the situation? Supposedly, but it's... I am it initiate, really a... so to say. That is... Uh, like uh, yeah, Bergier was actually a Russian. He yeah. c- came from Minsk, and his name was just a translation of a, of a Russian name. So that is like a number of other men acting as link between Earth and another planet. My job is to keep uh, extraterrestrials informed, and so on and so forth. So anyway, he's a go-between guy. Uh, this is a t- uh, an ancient temple, uh, forgotten by men, uh, but uh, not by others, who've been coming here for thousands of years. You saw the statue. Astronaut, Yes. And at this point, maybe there'd be a little reference to as you are all astronauts. Yeah, yeah. This you know, you astronauts, as I would know about you seeing, you know, seeing I'm the go-between guy between the aliens and Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might be interested at the first time man has gone to another planet. Yeah. Uh, and that, of course, being you would be interesting to bring up. But now we're dropping that because who cares? So, uh, yeah. And here, the, the other interesting thing is the connections made more f- firmly between... Uh, Bergier and and Planet because he says the celebrity as Danatov from the magazine Comet. So instead of Planet, it's Com- Comet. But I mean, it's still pretty similar. It, whereas Space Week is just kind of hanging there and doing nothing. You know, it's it really doesn't connect to anything at yeah. all. So uh, yeah, the captain starts talking. He's basically told to shut up, mind style. <laughs> uh, and so he continues. Uh, you know, uh, Astrochip uh, bringing me here last night. This morning observed great activity on the island, which is usually deserted. I'm watching extraordinary preparations. Uh, the airplane is landing, have realized the operation is a trap, and then we hear a big scream. Yes. And that scream is, uh, that is the millionaire kicking the Nazi in the shin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and then we uh, pull the sticking plaster off a uh, millionaire's face. Uh, says, uh, you'll pay for this. Never have I been so insulted. And I want my hat immediately. Where's my hat? Uh, and uh, to shut him up, uh, the, the power of telepathy uh, makes him think he's got an invisible hat. He puts on his head. Yeah. And he's so happy with his hat. It's not the telepathy, it's hypnotism. He's a, oh, it's hypnotism. He can do hypnotism and telepathy, we're, sure. we're told. He's a man of many talents. Both, both impossible. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yep, they uh, just keep, uh, keep going with that. Uh, so to continue explaining, yes, I know. <laughs> oh boy, how many years? Of, okay, no, not it's not just no, that. No, no, the exposition no, no. has nothing to do with the story. Here's the other thing: it's like you. So you've got the power of telepathy. Yes, yeah. I do. So you could just shoot all these thoughts right in my head, and I wouldn't have to hear this enormous yeah, uh, yeah, thing, yeah. right? You could do that. Yeah. No. No. Okay. So anyway, no, it's going to go on and on because uh, it's not even important to the plot. So to continue explaining, but it's here. not important to the plot. We can skip it ourselves. Let's just skip it. All right. Where do you want to go to? Let's just go to uh, finding the cre- hat. Kratos uh, sneezing. Yeah, and he picks his hat up off the ground. Uh, Calculus says, "Have you lost something?" He goes, "Of course, I lost my hat." Have, can you see it's fallen off? Luckily, Calculus can understand what he's saying, so that's fine. Then we get a little bit of uh, silliness when they find a drawing of <laughs> a spaceship on the wall. It's not just like something vaguely like a spaceship that you could look at and go. You know, it could be a spaceship. The Toltecs could have been carving spaceships into their... Right. You know, the Aztecs might have been carving spaceship 
No, it's actually a spaceship. For sure. Or a combination of the yellow submarine and a spaceship. We're not yeah. quite sure. Now, here's the Even other... with astronauts flying out of it like angels. Now, here's the other problem is, so you've got him talking to uh, the captain, to Tintin, yeah. to the millionaire. Well, he's hypnotizing the millionaire. Yeah. Uh, doesn't talk to the Nazi. But we've got calculus here. Mm-hmm. Now, calculus can't hear really good. And the whole thing is uh, misinterpretations. Yeah. You could, you finally got a character that can talk directly to calculus, yeah. skipping the ears. We could do something with that, right? Mm-hmm. And now now finally we could just clear... Now calculus can become useful because we can totally understand. Yeah. No, we're not going to do any of that. Yeah. Why not? He's the... He's the wouldn't he look at this device and go, oh, you got a telepathy device there, huh? Like, he's the guy who would yes, get this. You have a mind booster. That's right, because he would get this. You know, maybe something could break and calculus could fix it. You know, something along those lines. But, like, the one guy who would be interesting on both those levels, nothing. Doesn't care. Yeah. Ugh. So we see this thing on the wall and... Uh... Haddock says, thousands of years ago, oh, sorry, he says, thousands of years ago, men were building this temple to worship gods who are coming from the sky in fire Fire chariots, chariots. as if they're chariots of the gods. (laughs) I'm never going to not laugh. I'm going to keep doing that. You like it so much. We're going to be old men. We're going to be the old (laughs) podcasters home. Still doing that. So then uh, we cut to Rastapopoulos Spalding. Ellen and a, a named, uh, oh, no, that's the Columbani, the uh, other pilot, uh, arrive at the arrive at the statue of the astronaut-looking character, and we see that Caritas' hat is pinned underneath the statue, and not even pulling on it can it come out. And so they realize, after after Ellen tears it out and and elbows Rastapopoulos in the eye, giving him a, a juicy shiner, that <laughs> uh, it means that the statue moved before. That's right. So they can't figure out how to make it open, uh, even though it seems to me that it's pretty obvious that if you press on the eye... At some point, someone's going to push on the eye, and the eye is going to to roll back and right. open up. Like that's one of the first things you would do, unless you push the wrong eye and everyone dies. Raiders of the Lost Ark style. Is that right? Is that what I happens? Don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, you put, I think you'd mm-hmm. you know have something there, Make sure. gas or something, astronaut gas. <laughs> sure. I don't know how this all works. So instead, they get sent for some plastic explosives. We get another terrible drawing of Rastapopoulos clenching his fists in anger. Just too many close-ups in this book. I'm sorry, everybody. I just yeah. I'm not. I just think that, yeah, like you say, the style is best from a distance. When you get too too close, yeah, it it makes the style is too it becomes too cartoony and too broad. Uh, oh, it's so much exposition <laughs> with this Mick guy. And again, oh. again, uh, ca- uh, calculus is not picking up on any of it. He's not looking at drawings no, on the walls he's not. of spaceships. Yeah. Uh, being the guy who, again, has designed a spaceship for yeah. real life. Yeah. Uh, so instead, uh, what you get he's is... He's just doing some business with, with Kratos. Yeah, Kratos uh, uh, knocks uh, his hat off, which turns him into the Incredible Hulk. Yes. Uh, and he beats uh, Holy Heck out yeah. of uh, Kratos, yeah. uh, pulls him off. He's just, he could never have been more angry. Uh, no, his face is as red as a beat. There's a lot of biff, baff, boff, flap, flip, flap, and stuff like that. Yeah. They have to there, run over and stop him. There from... is an enormous amount of uh, bald guy on bald guy violence going on here that's been <laughs> broken up by another bald guy with the same hair. <laughs> Meanwhile, another bald guy with the exact same haircut is still waiting outside trying to kill them. Yeah. And then, oh, the drawings. Look at these drawings <laughs> of him. They're all so terrible. Every one of them. And then he's like, he starts hearing our... His bump on his head, he discovers, has healed. And then a uh, stalactite falls in his head. And because of an earthquake, uh, so we're starting to pick up on something's happening. A stalactite falls on his head and he gets another bump. 
And he's so mad, he says, what have I done to deserve all this? Me, who'd never harm a fly. There is no justice. At the same time, we see Snowy howling, howling, very yeah. dog-like, you know, uh, because the earthquake and, uh, you know, uh, Mick saying, uh, yes, is over. Earthquakes very frequent in uh, this area, but never severe. Yet this time, I'm wondering, this time, and, uh, oh, Calculus is so mad still, and oh, angry. Uh, it's like, I don't know why, uh, I don't know why, but this time I'm feeling very, very uneasy. And this seems to me that this is the first story where they don't call him Professor, but they call, keep calling him Cuthbert. Because he's not a professor. He's no, not anymore. He's, he's, he's been not. demoted. Yeah, he's not a professor. You have demoted him. He's does nothing professory. Yeah. You know, in this whole story. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you there. Okay. So we could use those roller skates right now that he had. You uh, could call him the professor as his uh, wrestling role. <laughs> that would be his name, you know, as he comes out into the ring for his French boxing savate wrestling thing. Yeah. Right. So uh, With his luchador mask on. So Mick, uh, Mick uh, connect, uh, connects uh, Tintin and the gang uh, with their comrades. Uh, they're, all, uh, they're all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zoot. Is that Zoot? Is that his name? Zuck? Scoot. Zuck? Well, Scoot in the English, Zoot in the French. Very good. Uh, and everyone's there. They're all uh, hugging and it's good times. Yeah. Yeah, all good to see each other again. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Alan uh, is uh, going up a hill and sees uh, Rastapopoulos, uh, who says, uh, There you are at last. About time too. But what happened? Uh, you free, boss. V. There was an earthquake. And uh, so this is, this is Alan still, right? Who's yeah. just lost his teeth? He's lost his teeth. And he's lost his hat, so now we see that he's now he's balding, and he's, he's well toothless. on the way to be. Because we need another bald character in here, <laughs> and he's toothless. So it's a real bring come down for this character who once seems did such he a, did he get his teeth knocked out or mm-hmm. what? Did he have false teeth? Yeah, he got his teeth knocked out because he got what happened was uh, when he went down there was an earthquake and yeah. the Sandinistan rebels panicked yeah. and he tried to stop them. Yeah, and they just ran over him and knocked out his teeth. Ow, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Like, I thought maybe he's got false teeth and he just lost his dentures, but... Uh, yeah, because he says, They all roughed back to ver junkf and make off into ve darknef like frightened rabbits. Uh, you can thank me later for reading that, folks. That's right. I suppose you didn't lift a finger to stop them. Yef, yef, boff. I did all I could to stop them escaping. It vuff hope left, like trying to read this writing. Dave is... <laughs> Yeah. Dave is soaking the microphone <laughs> like, with his spit. Like trying to stop a stampede. Af it waff. I waff. Very nearly massacred. So anyway, we don't need to know all this, folks. Really, it's, you know, we just have to know that he lost all his teeth. We just have to know that he has even a black lower. eye. Yeah, black uh, eye. And Alan's gotten his, you yeah, know. Because both him and Alan, Rastapopoulos. Are Alan has been a horrible person who's yeah. left people to die over and over again. Taking their hats. Taking their hats. Kicked their hats away. <laughs> And, and so he got his teeth knocked out, yeah. as you should when you kick a hat away. That's right. It's the it's karma, everybody. Karma is coming around. Kick a hat here. away, your teeth go away today. That's this is a, this is uh, Hergé's interest in Eastern philosophy has you know come around to karma, and we're just seeing the results of your evil acts are visited upon you. Yeah, we will see some uh, someone later on with two sets of teeth. You know, they've actually taken Alan's teeth and they've doubled down on theirs. Uh, so uh, now, okay, we're, we're, we're with the whole gang uh, underground. This gallery is running uh, from temple at one end to crater of extinct volcano at other. Here, a big boom. Uh, that's Can, not earthquake. Go ahead. Th- this is weird here. Uh, let's look at the two drawings of Tintin here. Yeah. They don't look like Erge. No. Like, they really don't look like a drone. But if you go down to the one of him running on the steps, that looks like Erge. Yep. 
But the one of him just looking, it looks like someone else drew them because Ershay couldn't be bothered. His hand was too sore from his terrible eczema. And he just, ugh, I can't do it. You do it. I'll do the action things. So they're going up some stairs and uh, the millionaire is very happy that he's found his hat. Uh, it's nice that the Nazi's holding his hand. Uh, and then a drop of water falls on his head, which makes no sense because he's wearing a hat. Yeah. It's very confused. He has to go back. He's got to find his hat. There he goes. Tintin follows him. Tintin follows him. And uh, they almost get killed by uh, lava. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a nice drawing of lava. Oh, it's really nice. And yeah, they started, uh, they used airbrush for this part of it. Oh, good. Which I guess must have been around, but it became very popular in the 60s, airbrush. It sure did. Everyone used it. Mm, boy. If you ever read that book of illustrated Beatle lyrics, it's basically all airbrush drawings in there. Everything's airbrushed. And yeah. then Terry Gilliam. And then everyone who's a fan of Monty Python, yeah. Terry Gilliam went, how do you do that? Airbrushed. Let me figure that out. There yeah. we go. Yeah. So, uh, so you can fake it on a computer now quite easily, but in those days, all the friskets you had to do and everything. Ugh. Uh, so he, he wants his hat, but uh, Tintin has grabbed his hand and is dragging him away from the molten lava. We see that uh, the lava claims the life of a gun uh, that then starts <laughs> firing uh, bullets. That's realistic. That's cool. Yeah, the rat tat 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 tat. Yeah. Uh, so he very much wants his hat. Tintin very wants, wants them to escape. Uh, and then uh, he speeds up. Uh, and uh, and runs faster than Tintin because his uh, his jacket is now on fire. Yeah, that's good. Uh, he runs into some water, uh, and uh, they barely uh, avoid being hit by some lava. Uh, running up the steps uh, as they as it hits the water, steam coming up, very nice. Yeah, the lava is, is just perfect as they run up the stairs. Very scary. Uh, yeah, Snowy good. luckily has uh, has has made it up there a little earlier. Uh, millionaire pushes the captain out of the way almost to his death. Looks like to his death. Yeah, he's really leading over the... And then there's a terrible drawing of Tintin at the bottom of the page. But the, but the captain is holding on to a stalagmite. Sorry, no, I stalagmite. 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 Oh my ground. gosh, it was so... Oh, so, so close to being wrong on that. G for ground. And C, C for, for ceiling. ceiling. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Everyone remember that. That's your uh, hint for stalagmite. Well, stalactite. this is the thing. All right, for stalagmite, remember G... Gee, it's fun to remember that this is on the ground because that's really it's confusing. Why did I say G, G for ground? Because it's funnier, <laughs> longer, and unnecessary. It's for humor purposes. Who are you, Mick? Mick oh man, all of the, all of the juice has been sucked out of your lemon. You're just so <laughs> not happy right now. <laughs> well, you know, where is the day I've, that I started this podcast I've with? Said at the beginning six of hours sh- ago, <laughs> I said at the beginning of the show that I love Verge's art. Yeah, and we're not seeing it now. Okay. We're seeing a lot of other people's art. Even the characters aren't aren't drawing it by him. Like, they just aren't as good. They're just the drawings aren't as good. If you go back and look at the drawings in Castafiore Emerald and compare them to this book, yep. which I did, you can see that they're different. Like literally different. I will agree with you. Let's get out of this lava cave. Yeah. Uh, so the captain does climb up the stalagmite. Mm. Gets it. Gets Very out good. of there. Running, 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 running. Uh, everyone's running, running. Uh, millionaire sneezes. Uh, saying, uh, shut the door behind you. Can't you uh, feel the draft? It's dreadful. Uh, what about this smoke? Uh, you're doing it on purpose. Me with my sensitive throat. Are you trying to kill me? I like that because he didn't. He yeah. hated smoking. Yeah. So th- that you're in a smoky volcano. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all for that. Sure. Yeah, some good stuff in there. That's right. And now it's coming p- poisonous gas. Hide handkerchiefs over your mouths. This part is exciting. How can how is Tintin going to get them off of this out of the situation? Right. How is Tintin? The, the hero, hero of, of these the stories. Let me tell it too well. The hero of this story. How is he going to rescue? How is he going to rescue them? Well, wait, Dave. I'm going to check just the cover and see if yeah. Tintin. If this is a Tintin story. Yeah, let's see. 
The Adventures of Tintin. Yeah, yeah? Adventures okay. of Tintin. So you know he's going to be. So let's just carry on. We'll read it and find out how he rescues him from this. Well, from this it situation. could be. Now listen. Once in a while, the captain can rescue somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's sure. But to be fair, I wouldn't mind if Snowy rescued them. No. Nope, Any of those fine. three is fine. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with all of that. Some of the group, even if the if Professor Calculus finally got his head out of his butt <laughs> and did something scientific and and helped them in a situation that he knew something about volcanoes. As able, he would. Yeah, was able to divert the lava in some way. Or he knows new, how heat rises. Yeah, he or knows how, his... yeah, or which way the lava is going to flow and they and they avoid it. You know, they head down to the ocean on the opposite side of the, the volcano. Something, something. Yeah. But anyway, so, okay, let's see how Tintin rescues them. Uh, meanwhile, Calculus is looking at his uh, little divining uh, dangler and uh, pendulum. <laughs> pendulum. And uh, says, spying something down below. Uh, so, uh, this way, quickly, we are nearly outside. Uh, they all run up, uh, covering their nose. He rushed uh, and became German. Uh, sure, why not? It's all the same. <laughs> um, all other countries are the same. Yeah. Is that, uh... That's th- totally a This tintina. podcast doesn't go international, does it? Not at all. Okay. Just, that was, by just the in way, our neighborhood. As long as you don't know, this was my Australian accent the whole time. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> so, they come out, and, uh, Tintin points up at the sky, saying, look, the sky's blood red. Uh, yes, yes, uh, must be lava flowing, uh, downside of volcano, might. Uh, <laughs> and we do see that is in fact happening. Uh, the lava is flowing down. Uh, Rastopopoulos is running. So is, uh, Alan. Poor Alan. Yes. Uh, saying, uh, Rastopopoulos, wait for me, Alan, help. Not so fast, wait for me. Uh, rubber, oh, no, you've got to do Alan, uh, with okay. teeth missing. The rubber dinghy, <laughs> it's f- our only means f- of escape. So, uh, says to the captain, you've got everyone? Yeah, I think so. Except Cuthbert. Uh, where is Cuthbert? That is weird that Tintin calls him Cuthbert. That yeah. feels, as a young man, that's a disrespectful yeah. thing. Yeah, he should be a professor. Yeah, maybe the captain would call him Cuthbert because he's best friends with him. But yeah, that is, is strange. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, apparently they think uh, he was left behind. And again, uh, sad, snowy, howling, so dog-like. Well, he's howling because Tintin has disappeared. Oh, that's right, that's right. That's Coming back, saying. Tintin. Uh... And, and uh, so then uh, the Haddock says, he's gone into that inferno. Call him back. Do something. I don't know. Ring him up. Telepathize him. And then so Can uh, Rocketoff says, come back, my young comrade. Is useless risking your life. And then a big question mark over his head. And Haddock says, what happened? Did he answer? Yes. Is answering, is telling me to go to, and such polite boy, I think. I do like that Tintin will yeah. not say something, but he'll think it yeah, yeah. hard at you. And yeah. then, okay, I'm with you on this. Tintin has rescued a friend. Yeah. That's right. That's perfect. That's completely right. Yeah. That's now, here's Tintin. my question. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm forgetting something that comes along later here. Okay. Uh, was, the, was Calculus finding something that was real? Well, he was noticing something with his pendulum, and he was looking down what to see was what it? it was. We don't know. That's terrible. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Because the one conceit about this, sorry to say, stupid pendulum... Is it works. It's always worked. No one believes it works, but it does work. It might work in a silly way where you don't understand why it's true, yeah. but it works. Mm-hmm. And so, nah, just it was wrong. Mm-hmm. No. No. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. There's no. A, there's a lot of problems with the characters in this story. It's not a character. It's a thing. <laughs> what, what's the pendulum do? What we bring it out if it does nothing yeah. this whole time? I just mean calculus himself. Like, but, yeah, what? But here's the thing with not... calculus. Calculus is such an absent-minded guy mm. that you don't need something like that device to have calculus go. What am I looking at? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, we're on vacation. We must be at the hot springs. I'm going to go have myself a bath. <laughs> yeah. And then he can walk off. There's a million reasons why he could wander off. Yeah. But when you use the pendulum, which we've established works. 
and it does nothing. That's what I say to that. Okay. So uh, Tintin is rescuing him, which is good. Which is uh, good. But the next rescue is dumb. I mean, I can understand why they want to have this in the story. It is kind of exciting. Yeah. But then Snowy goes, hip, hip, hooray, they're safe, and jumps into some water. And then uh, Tintin says, here's Snowy, not too far. And he goes, poo, I can swim, can I? And then we hear some cries of, of alarm. And look, the water uh, says, that guy, the Russian guy. Look, look. Lake is emptying like sink. When did he say like sing? He gets his K's and his G's mixed up? Now, here's the other question. Mm. Is the water uh, rotating in the right direction for this hemisphere? That's a good question. I think it is. Okay, good. Uh, so, uh, Snowy bangs his head on the one rock <laughs> that's there. Yeah. Uh, luckily, that does stop him, and uh, Tintin is able to walk out. Doesn't yeah. seem that troubled if he can walk out. Uh, to get Snowy, he does. It's fine. And then a big ex- big explosion. Of then the water explodes. Water explodes. Yeah. And uh, and uh, millionaire goes. How long must I put up with all this dust? <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I don't mind that. I don't mind the fact that he's he's bad tempered. No, it's fine. It's kind of fun. And then it's a oh, astro ship. Astro ship. Now the is worst here, part of the story. Right above us, can hear it. The worst. Okay, and uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, they, uh, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. That's right. Uh, so he's uh, trying to hypnotize them. The captain's like, hypnotize us? Not in your life. It's out of the question. Besides, that sort of mummery wouldn't affect us. Wouldn't affect us. That's right. And we see, like, Tintin with the crazy eyes as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. So they go up a ladder, and then... Uh, uh, so they're going up a ladder. Uh, so the volcano uh, erupts. Yeah, nice shot That's of the volcano. That's a nice shot of the volcano. Let's, yeah, give, sure, it, let's give it up for that volcano erupting. Yeah, yeah. That's great. It's too bad we didn't get some shots of uh, Tintin and his friends running down the hill trying to escape the lava themselves. Because that would be pretty exciting. Yeah. Be some exciting stuff going on. How about if they're in a race towards the dinghy with Rastopopolis and Alan? How's that? Okay. How's that sound? Uh, or that they, or that they all get into it and there's some sort of conflict there. Like, why not? Now, here's another thing. It's mm. like... We've had we've had a whole bunch of business in this uh, story about hats. Yes. About I'm going to put a dollar in your hat. Five dollars. I've lost yeah. my hat. Yeah. Uh, I'm pulling your, this hat on your head. Yeah. That knocks the hat on this guy's head. Yeah. Where's my hat? My invisible hat. 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 Now we're seeing the flying saucer, which to me looks like a hat. Doesn't it look exactly like a hat, especially on the bottom uh, bottom row middle? Does that look like a saucer, or does that look like a flying hat? Yeah. You want at some point someone to go. Is that a hat? Yeah. You know, and D- then it's like maybe dumb. the guy who maybe the guy who's seeing an invisible hat sees the hat, and now no one believes the hat. There's something, you know. There, it just feels like uh, it'd be stretching the story out too much. And actually, Hergé felt like that. Actually, felt in retrospect that showing the saucer was a mistake. And I agree with him. In well, fact, I would say having this having the saucer in the story was the mistake. This but anyway. is yeah. This feels to me like it's. I know this was kind of cutting edge at the time, like sure. the sort of the pseudoscience of the day, yeah. wh- whether it's the Yeti and Loctus Monster. They was kind of ahead of the curve a little bit because of his interest in finding snippets and things to put into stories. But having it such a major part of the story and having it, having the whole end of the story hinge on this one part of the story. And everyone's memories being erased. Yeah, it's such a convenient, like I say, astronaut ex machina, this whole right. thing, you know. Why? And why? Why? Why did their memories have to be erased? What's it matter? If they, if well, they... the real problem with the memories being erased is that no one's punished for their crimes. Uh-huh. You know, you have you've got Tintin and his his gang and one and rescued in one di- yeah. dinghy, and then you have the, everyone else in the other dinghy. Yeah. And 
But no one knows what happened. But, uh, you know, they, they all... As were... far as I know, the plane crashed in the water, and that's the end of the story. Right. But they were all terrible people, and they did get punished for their crimes. They've had their teeth knocked out. They've all got black eyes. Not all of them. Columbani and, and the other... And Hans, who were part of this... And Spalding, they're all fine. Yeah, I am. I think uh, those guys... Spalding got... still has a job. True. Uh, but he has to it, now work for Rastopopoulos, which is... No, no, no. His job will still be with, with uh, Kratos, because Kratos does not remember any of this stuff happening. Oh, that's a good point. Their memories are erased to the, to the crash of the jet. As far as everyone knows, the jet crashed. Yeah, that's fair. But here's, here's the thing, though, about... Okay, we can... Let, all right, we're going to get to the end of it, but... Well, we're almost at the end of it. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, flaws in this. You know, uh, that's definitely one of them. I'll give you that. Uh, not having fun with the flying saucer. It's like, if you're going to draw a flying saucer, draw an interesting big flying saucer. Like I say, like, let's go for it. Especially if you're going to erase everyone's, you know, memories of this. Yeah. I mean, the idea of doing a... Ta- we, you, you, we're I've already s- at page 59, or almost at 58. So we don't have a lot of time left. You've got okay. You've got four pages to wrap up the whole story. To, you have room to draw a flying saucer. Yeah. Um, but again, and it's not... He didn't want to show aliens, so he didn't want to have no, that element have stuff to, showing. But you've drawn a flying saucer, so draw it. Now we're all... <laughs> Sorry, it's the old joke, you know. Now we're just—we know what you are. Now we're haggling on price. Yeah, it's like you've drawn a flying saucer. You've yeah. just drawn a small flying saucer, mm-hmm. so you might as well draw a big flying saucer because over. But and it's—I have to admit, I'm not not interested at all in the flying saucer. And it's not—I maybe you would be if you saw what it looked like. Uh, but like, it's not—it's not Tintin's fault that many stories, many stories, end with and it was a flying saucer. Does anyone see it? Nope. Or do they see it? Now the memories are all erased, and they didn't see it. Yeah. Like, that is such a trope. So, ooh, so well, it's much. probably common to the existing literature of the time of, of UFO stories as well. Yeah. So, I mean, Hergé is probably using that as, uh, as a way to tell a story. Now, but here's the thing. If you, story-wise, though, you know, I, I get that with the villains, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. But Tintin's a guy who finds hidden civilizations. He finds things that people have never seen before. He finds the abominable snowman. You know, and he sees them. He doesn't have his memory erased at the end to reset everything back to the beginning. He can take a secret and he'll shut up about it. Yeah. You know? Uh, he, uh, so it, it just doesn't work character-wise for me. It's like it feels like the guy who's telepathic would just read his brain and just go, Oh, you know a lot of stuff already. That's fine. And also, you're all astronauts. It's fine. Uh, you, you get this. It's yeah. fine. You know? It would have been nice if... Uh, well, it's the thing. I mean, they... If you think back to uh, End of Prisoners of the Sun, they discover that there's a race of Incans that are still alive. Yeah. That have this kind of voodoo power. Absolutely. And they just walk away from it. They're not, their memories in a race. That's right. Said, that's know, what I'm saying. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's exactly what I said. I was is... paying for my parking while you were talking. So <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> sorry about that. How? Telepathically? I yes. Didn't see I am uh, Mick Rock. But it was pay it off. Yeah, I am McDonald's. I am... I am the maker of the sandwiches. I am Mick Pay Parking Off, and I'm able to. Uh, yeah. telepathically pay my yeah no the deal the deal is you know uh tintin finds the monsters tintin sees the mummies tintin you know goes to the moon uh you know it all happens to the guy it's mm-hmm. fine anyway see i have in his mind a race what is this men in black get out of here boo uh so anyway uh you carry on i'm angry i'm, gonna, so I'm gonna go upset. pace around the room so yeah so creatus blue barnacle <laughs> So Kratos, uh, basically, he he creates a memory of what, what was happening on the plane, yeah. of them flying, of, of them playing Battleship and Kratos cheating, and then they're set down by the flying saucer in, in a rubber dinghy that's floating around in the water. Oh, no, sorry. This is when they, they find, uh, sorry, not floating around the water. The, the flying saucer comes, up, comes upon Rastapopoulos and his gang in the water. They shoot at the 
the spaceship, but it doesn't doesn't do anything because once again, Can Rockadoff uses his hypnotic ability and telepathic power to to hypnotically draw these guys up onto the spaceship, where then they are trapped in the spaceship, and then Tintin and Captain Haddock and and Calculus and everyone is dropped into their dinghy, and then they're left floating in their dinghy, and then we cut to the morning, and it's a good cut. I like the fact that it cuts to the radio still playing on the beach, mm-hmm. where the where the uh, where the uh, volcano was erupting. We see a bottle of Loch Lomond whiskey that has now been established as as uh, the captain's whiskey after the Black Island yeah. ran last time. And uh, or the the re the new Black Island, which by the way ran as a time as a space filler, uh, while Erge was off doing other things. They ran the 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 new version of the Black Island in Tintin magazine oh, okay. before this started. So, so the Loch Lomond was kind of established there. So we can show it on the beach, and then we see a, uh, a Grumman uh, HU sixteen Albatross, uh, a fl- what's called a flying boat. It's different than a than a plane like a seaplane. It's different than that. Okay. So. Uh, how it's different, I'm not too sure. Please, someone explain that to me because I couldn't be bothered to read it all. Uh, and then uh, they happen to see the dinghy with uh, everyone floating in it and Snowy's barking. And then we cut, jump cut to, we didn't know if he'd be in the story or not. We thought, where's the Thompsons? Where's Jolly on Wag? They're always in every story. I guess they're not going to be in this one. Oh, here he is, sitting at home with his horrible family, <laughs> watching the news. And we have Scanorama once again bringing us uh, this story. I'm just going to quickly pop ahead here because I want to sure. just see what uh, it's called in in the... Oh, yeah, they don't give it a name. But they call it Scanorama in the in the English translation because it's a reference to the BBC show Panorama. And then uh, they're telling them that there's been a sea rescue, air-sea rescue of six of the men aboard millionaire Caritas' plane, uh, which made world headline, would read world headline news when it disappeared. So they are found drifting in a dinghy more than 200 miles off their scheduled route. They were snatched to safety only minutes from death in a lava-heated cauldron, the sea around the volcanic island off Paulo Paulo Bompa. All the survivors were suffering from severe shock. It was several hours before they recovered consciousness in a, in a Javanese hospital. So then they go to an on-the-spot reporter, and then uh, there's Jolly on, of course, does this great running commentary through all this news. Are we going to do all? Are we going to do all of this? No. This is a long sequence. We don't need to. It's all. Yeah. It's. It basically repeats what we already know. That uh, it's a terrible business. Uh, Kratos. Oh, I guess you know what? What's I guess that? they were punished because Rastapopoulos and the other guys were not rescued. They're just gone. Oh, is that right? They've entirely disappeared. Yeah. Oh. They climb up into the UFO, but it, or UFO as it's called in England, and they're never seen again. Oh, so they were taken into space. Yeah. Wow, okay. Or something happened, or it just dumped in the sea. I don't think a UFO would do that. Why not? They're up there with Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> that negligent father. <laughs> Sorry for the spoilers on that Richard Dreyfus movie I'm talking about. You didn't if see you the name of it. If you haven't seen it, uh, seen it the... was Jaws. Yes. Anyway. Um, they needed they needed a bigger pile of mashed potatoes. Sure. Don't you remember that scene in Jaws? We're going to get to the end of this. Keep going. We're going to uh, get through it. Okay. So then they talk to Kratos, who's, of course, very sad that his, his plane was lost. Or not that his plane was lost, that he lost his uh, pre-war Bross and Clackwell hat. Yeah. That's the true tragedy of this whole thing. Absolutely irreplaceable. Yeah. What about the needle marks found on your arm? Oh, hmm. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Yeah, okay. It seems your companions didn't have these. He w- Naturally, I'm richer than they are. <laughs> okay, so rich people get needle marks on yeah, their arm. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, he gets uh, his vitamin shots from his doctor. Sure. Dr. Robert. 
gives him his vitamin shots. Oh, another Beatles reference. Then they, they talked to a lot of cross pollinating mm, sure. in our podcasts. I like to uh, promote. Then they talked to Scoot or Zoot, if depending what language you're reading in, and Scoot doesn't have much to tell him either. He just, just he says not possible to remember. It's like a gap in my mind. I don't understand. And then uh, oh, by the way, we were wrong. Why? The pendulum did lead to something. What's You'll that? find that on the next page. It did. It led to Okay. The... It led him to find that little pin. Did we read this book? I, I did read we it twice. Go through, did we go through the, I did too. Did I, we go through this memory loss thing? I think it, it must like, have happened to us. Oh my gosh. I must have been this, with us? I must have been so sick of the story by this point. I was just scanning right. things. So anyway, Jolly and Wag is, uh, is heckling the whole thing while yeah, it's going. You, you, like, ha, ha, ha. It's great. Blah, blah, ha, ha. It's he fantastic. sees Haddock. He's so excited. He goes, look. Look who's here again. My old chum, the ancient mariner for Marlin Spike, the old humbug. He doesn't have to come up with some comic turns. So we know that uh, now he's really not going to believe it. Tintin has, says he had a similar dream. So they all kind of say that they've had like a dreamlike experience. And then the most inexplicable part of this whole business, says Tintin, is, well, let Professor Calculus tell you. So t- Calculus, uh, of course, then mishears what he's talking about. Right. But then he goes, like, this is the thing. It's like, no, I think Professor Calculus will tell you, Professor, will you show them what you have found? And then Calculus turns to him and goes, oh, you're calling me Professor now, huh? Because he's been Cuthbert through this whole thing. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, we're on the TV yeah. uh, putting on airs, and I seem to be back in character now. Yeah. And he seems to understand what he's saying, too. He says, of course not, with pleasure. There. And what is that? Exactly. It's a metal rod with a hemispherical head. And, of course, Jolene Wegg says it's a common or garden valve. What does that mean, common or garden valve? Uh, garden uh, variety. But would you say garden variety valve? I guess that's not an expression in Eastern England. And then he says, uh, pinched from a car engine, which does look like kind of like a uh, like a piston, sure. a valve, piston valve. Uh, and he says, to the untrained eye, this ob- object represents nothing unusual. But the first suspicious fact is that I found it in my pocket. Oh, wait. Oh, because he doesn't remember picking it up that's off the ground. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Maybe that's where I got mixed up. I didn't connect that. Because I'm then dumb. he waves the uh, pendulum over it. I should be fired from this show. and it's All right, listen, end. we'll only do like three more and then uh. we're done. Uh, so he waves a pendulum over it and you see that it's reacting to it. So this is what uh, the pendulum has been trying to find this whole time. So it, it yeah. was accurate. But the metal in it uh, is not from Earth. No. There you go. Not. There's a little bit of proof. It turns out that it contains uh, pure cobalt. Is that what he says? Uh, sure, let's go with that. Uh, it's, uh, let's see, uh, blah, 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 blah. uh, let's say yes. <laughs> Give us a pause while we figure this out. Yeah, here we go. Uh, the physical chemists are quite unanimous. It's composed of cobalt in its, na- in the natural state, alloyed with iron and nickel. Since cobalt in the natural state does not occur on Earth, the object is of extraterrestrial origin. Mm. Yeah, and the reporter says, Professor, you used the words extraterrestrial. In this connection, may I show you a photograph taken by an amateur in Cairo last Monday, uh, the day you were found. Please study it carefully. Uh, we see that it is a flying saucer. You know, would you say that this machine is extraterrestrial in origin? A bottle of gin? Frankly, I can see no connection. To me, the photograph would appear to show an unidentified flying o- object, popularly known as a flying saucer. <laughs> so, there you are. Yes, and uh, I think you. To me, as a as a as a barbershop singer, it looks like a straw hat. Well, okay. <laughs> Do you remember me talking about it looking like a hat, like about ten minutes ago? Yeah, remember I was, that? I was paying for my parking. <laughs> oh, you'll be paying for your parking, all right. <laughs> uh, 
let's just do the show from your car so we don't have to do that. Uh, so uh, then the, the reporter goes on. Of course, one final question, Professor. I understand that you and your companions are suffering from amnesia. Wait for it. Wait, what is he going to misunderstand? If this you is? wish, but I always take a glass of water with milk of magnesia. Oh, harsh. That's a hard one. Yeah, even the crickets had a hard time making noise for that one. I beg your pardon, he says, and I don't blame him. Uh, then uh, he says, now, what he says, one reported, oh, sorry, it's, uh, I want to make, sorry, the point I want to make is that occasional cases of amnesia are not uncommon. Ah, wait a second, here it comes. So I'm, oh, I'm so mixed up at the end of the story, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Let's start, let's stop the rec recording and we'll start again. We'll just start this part again. We've blown Remember it twice Remember how we now. started this saying, like, Snowy doesn't get a bone? <laughs> and he does. I don't think, I think no one's throwing us a bone on this <laughs> no, one either. No one's going to help us. <laughs> so Dr. Krollspell was found uh, wandering uh, on the outskirts of the city. And he was found, he, the head of a psychiatric clinic in Cairo. Here's a weird thing for you. Yeah. In, in the French version, it's a, uh, it's a psychiatric clinic in New Delhi, mm. which connects it to... Uh, Cigars of the Pharaoh. And I forgot to make a little mention. In Earlier in the book, when at uh, the beginning, when we first meet Rastapopoulos, he's smoking a cigar that has the band, ah, has the nice. Cigars of the Pharaoh band on okay, it. Okay, well, point, Sorry, points to Gryffindor for that. I forgot to mention that. Okay, but only only uh, Dr. Uh, Krollspell has been found. The other two are in space. Okay, so he was considered, I guess, innocent enough, even though he was probably working the Or was, I mean, Krollspell came with them right no wait where no he wasn't go? he got into the he was in the did he come with him oh, i guess <laughs> he did he did and he must have been separately dropped off somewhere else yes oh oh God. boy we're boy. terrible sorry everybody. oh guys folks we're not i feel like we've gone up for our book report and you know pride and prejudice there was a lot of pride and a lot of prejudice did you guys read this hmm anyway so uh the moral of the story don't be prideful and try not to have prejudice <laughs> that's right a story by Jack Austin. <laughs> okay, so anyways, talking to Tintin, it's a reporter. But in your, we're going to get to the end of this. But in your <laughs> case, how did the doctors account for the fact that you're all suffering from amnesia, Tintin? Uh, they don't seem to be able to give an explanation any more than we can. Cut to Snowy. I could tell them a thing he or two. He doesn't have a bone at all. He does have a bone. Oh, I couldn't. I could. I could tell them a thing no or two. No bone for Snowy. But no one would believe me. Of course, we wouldn't believe you. You've been acting like a dog this whole time and weren't <laughs> talking to us. Yeah. Pick a character and stick with it. Uh, then finally, the reporter. Uh, what are your plans and where do you go from here? Uh, we're catching the next, says Tintin. Uh, we're catching the next plane for Sydney. Uh, we shall be just in time for the opening of the Astronautical Congress. Well, I hope there'll be no further interruptions to your journey. Good luck uh, and thank you. Goodbye, Captain. Goodbye. And uh, then they're all boarding the plane. Qantas, flight 714 to Sydney. All passengers, please proceed immediately to gate number three. Uh, we see them all about to board. We see an annoyed Snowy still on the lead. And that is how this ends. And I'm going to close it now. So, so as we all know, when you hear the title of, of the uh, book or movie used in the flight 714 to Sydney, you're supposed to go, yes. Yay, yes. And then uh, the other thing is, so the reporter was actually based on an actual person, this guy named Jean Touré. Yeah, he looks like a caricature, for sure. Yeah, who wrote to Hergé many times, requesting to be included in a Tintin book, Shaking Captain Haddock's Hand. Aww. And uh, Hergé had a lot of these requests, and usually turned them down. But something about this guy, you know, got to Hergé, and so he, he agreed to do it. 
as long as no one could ever know that it happened. So it was included in the story. No one knew that who this person was, yeah. but that was there. The other interesting thing at the end of the story, if you look at Captain Haddock, he is holding a newspaper, and it's Le Soir. And it's the first appearance of Le Soir in Tintin. It was never in the stories when it was in Le Soir, when it was in the, oh, the okay. Le Soir Volet. He would always have it as La Depeche, uh, was the newspaper that, Neat. or the Daily Reporter, of course, as we see in, in the English versions. Yeah, the, what's, go ahead, please. Sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, but it, you do your point first. Okay, so, because it was kind of interesting, because that was a sort of, like, even though Hergé had had all this fame, you know, through the 60s, this burgeoning fame that kind of took away the the sting of having been, you know, an accused Ansevique of being the collaborationist and everything. The one the one thing that could never close was Le Soir. He was, there was sort of this unofficial ban on, on Hergé in that newspaper. They could never mention him in that paper. He was never written up in it. There was no mention of him or of Tintin in the, in the, in Le Soir. Uh, there was, like, they even had, like, this article like it was or like a booklet that they put together that was like all the, the world famous cartoonists and the guy who put it together had included Hergé in it and the editor crossed him out on, on the proofs this put uh. wrote traitor across him and that was it he couldn't be in it That's but in 1970 uh what happened was there was this young guy named Henri de Clay he, became, he started working for the paper and he didn't he was just started there, so he didn't know about this unwritten rule that Hergé could never be mentioned. And so his first thing, he sort of became, he sort of became the, the editor of, of Le Soir Jeunesse, so the kind of the youth, youth magazine. And so his first thing he did was wrote this article about Hergé, and he did an interview with Hergé, or wrote this article about Tintin. And the copy editor didn't know, he was new as well, and he didn't know about this unofficial ban. And so it crept into the newspaper. Well, both of them got in huge yeah. trouble for doing this. But it's kind of like the band had been broken after that. There was a big exhibition of of uh, about the moon landings, and so you know, Hergé was kind of mentioned as part of that, and so he got got into the newspaper mentioned as part of that, and I, and that just seemed to break the band. And after that, he was you know mentioned in newspaper columns good, good, and stuff good. like that. So that. that was kind of the final closing end. But this was after this was mentioned, and I always kind of wonder why he put it in there as a sort of a weird, hmm. yeah, this part of that kind of strange history of, of, of Tintin. Yeah, I was just going to say with the reporter who's shaking the hands with uh, mm-hmm. Captain Haddock, like I didn't know that it was, uh, I assumed it was someone. Yeah. Uh, because it, it reminded me of when I was a kid and I used to watch Warner Brothers cartoons and they would have caricatures of famous Hollywood stars. Yeah. And as a kid, of course, I don't know who these people mm-hmm. are. I don't know who Buster Keaton is. But you can tell when a caricature is yeah. being done, everything's a little goosed, yeah. a little uh, pretty. Well, it's a little more realistically drawn. Even if yeah. it's a caricature, it's, there's something different from Elmer but Fudd. Then, but then there's Cl- also, yeah, but then there's also elements that are heightened and yeah. like and and they look unnaturally good yeah you know whereas uh, everyone else in this comic is uh, very ugly for the most part even yeah. good looking guys pretty ugly and it's like hey who's this handsome bit of business probably someone real which is why they had to make them handsome so yeah i was like oh, i was i was curious who it was so thank you for telling me that you're welcome now uh anything else uh, to say about it before i do the normal thing i do at the end of these episodes well obviously this is my favorite book <laughs> i know it so well Back to front. Yeah. I know that Snowy gets no bone. Yeah. I'm so upset that the captain gets killed at the end. Wait a second. Oh, the captain's fine. <laughs> and that Rasopopolis... I, I, I wish the volcano exploded. Yeah. Oh, it does? I'm yeah. uh, not familiar with... Uh... In terms of official official published Tintin stories, this is the end of Rastopopolis. He is gone forever from the stories. He's um, in space. Yeah, I guess so. Floating around with aliens. What a punishment. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. Alan's it's... got space teeth. This book's this book's okay. I, I just feel like 
uh, Hergé, whether consciously or unconsciously, just started to undermine his own universe that he created and just started to kind of chip away at it. And this book is an example of that. It just it feels to me, yeah, it feels to me... Well, not, the inconsistencies you talk about are because sloppy. he's given up on his characters. The characters are different than they were. Yeah, you're, you're, you're using your characters for plot instead of for character, mm-hmm. which is a shame because the last issue was basically all character. Yeah, and was you really know, great. The plot, who cares? You yeah. know, the plot will wrap up at the end, mm-hmm. but it's just like, well, you just like these characters, right? Well, let's have them bounce off each other sure. for a while. Now, oh, I love it. And this one, uh, now we're going to go plot-driven. Okay, yeah. well, you must be leading to something big at the end, right? Yeah, but I'm a little not... And again, I'm assuming, you know, it, it, he pulled back too much at the end and didn't give you the payoff. It's like... Yeah, there's a lot of hesitation there, and I... I just feel like he wasn't certain. I mean, he was interested in it, and he decided to put it in the story. But unlike his interest in, uh, you know, like the Yeti or, you know, that really comes across as a character in the story, it this this comes across as like a cop-out uh, ending that's easy easy to do and doesn't involve having to figure out how to escape from a volcano. I can't believe I didn't figure this out before, too. The, the, the metal rod is yeah. from the glasses. Okay. It's the it's the telepathy rod. Oh, okay. It detaches to the glasses, oh, and that's okay. what. So I was thinking, like, oh, it's too bad he doesn't have the thing that's telepathy. Oh, he does, and now it's in the hands of the. Again, this is an interesting thing. It's just like you now have something uh, yeah. that gives you the power of telepathy. Mm-hmm. Whose hands is it, is it in? Oh, it's in the mad scientist's hands. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Nope, not gonna do much with that. Not gonna pay off. Sorry. No payoff, and so on. And so, wait, does that make sense? Or maybe it doesn't, because if the... No, the guy still would have had it on when he found it in, in, the, in the cave. Oh, I don't even know anymore. I'm going to wrap this up. Folks, if we're missing out on something obvious here, let us know. Yeah, please. Uh, and here's how you let us know. Uh, we've got our, our website, which is sneakydragon.com. You might go, why isn't it called totallytintin.com? Well, because. Uh, we've got another podcast that we started with called Sneaky Dragon, and that's where everything lives. Yes. So if you want to go to our message board on there, sneakydragon.com, you'll find all the episodes, past episodes of Totally Tintin. And we'd love to hear from you, and we almost always respond. Yeah, someone was, who was talking about Completely Beatles called it the Sneaky Dragon Network, which I liked a lot. Sure, I like that too, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go on Facebook and talk to us, we're at Totally Tintin on Facebook. Sneaky underscore dragon on Twitter. Yep. And if you want to write to us by email, we are at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That's sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. And we're kind of looking right now, because uh, we're coming up on we're coming up on the last full Tintin story, our, our next episode. Yes. And then... You know, uh, going on, and then we're going to be, we're going to be uh, doing uh, Tintin at Alf Art. Is that what it is? Tintin and Alf Art. And, yeah. Al- and Alf Art. Then we're going to do an episode uh, covering the movies. Yes. Uh, and then what we were thinking of doing was one uh, with any questions that you have or anything we haven't talked about that you would like us to talk about a little bit more, kind of leaving it open to you, making it your episode. So if there's something you'd like us to talk about, uh, let us know, and we'll do that with the last. It'll be just kind of a goof around last episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we would love to hear from you with suggestions of what we should talk about then. Uh, but I think that is about it. Is that right? I just want to say that this we, we didn't like this book so much that it's uh, our, one of our longest podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that is true. But, uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of regretting that uh, the last full Tintin story is coming up next week. Then I'm done, man. I don't have any more Tintin to read. Yeah. It's a bit of a drag. It is sad. Uh, but that uh, story is going to be Tintin and the, let me see if I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, Picaros, is that right? Yep, sure. All right, Tintin and the Picaros. I've got a week to practice that and make that sound smooth in my mouth. <laughs> 
thank you so much for listening. I've been Ian Boothby. I've been David Dedrick. And uh, you never heard this podcast. We are erasing your memory now. Listen to it again. Build up our ratings by listening to it over and over again. 